Hey there, Kratos. This is Eniash. Hey, Eniash. This is Steven. Steven, I know Kratos. He's the god of the war guy. That's right. And I bet you can fill in the blank. Uh, you are Kratos because he kills uh, a god today, a world lord. He, he he does what you talked about uh, last episode where, you know, he climbs on the giant thing and basically yeah. punches it to death. Yep. Carves it open, finds the weak spot and exploits that until the thing dies. Yeah, it was awesome. I, li- I like that name choice. Nice. Uh, I think it's the second time I've used it and it might not be the last. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that I think I remember it from before because I rarely know what your names are in reference to. You, you yeah. just have all this pop culture knowledge. Or, or just like really deep cuts of something super random. Speaking of super random, yeah, I've, I've been trying to articulate this thought all week because we talked last week about narrative and the end of the one before about like, well, the camera's on Amaryllis and she thinks that, you know, narrative doesn't matter, but here she is as the center of it. And so I think I finally figured out like where we aren't seeing eye to eye on this. Mm-hmm. I think we're looking at this at two different angles or two different levels. So like me and Amaryllis or Amaryllis and I are thinking about it in the, the, the narrative of June's story. Like, okay. I think you're looking at the narrative of the book worth the candle. Right? Uh, basically yes. But I think, I think the book itself is kind of playing coy with that and intermingling the two here and there. I think it totally is too, but I don't think it necessarily is a one-to-one, uh, relation. Okay. Now, it, no, it, well, yeah. it could be, unless like, you know, at the end, we find that he's finished penning the last page of Worth the Candle and he's he's authoring it, kind of like Frodo writing The Lord of the Rings. But like, this this is his telling of his time on Erb. Yeah. And Amaryllis is looking at just his time on Erb, right? Not his version of it. Yeah. So his version of it might have cutaways. Like, for example, the parentheticals aren't part of like the story's narrative, right? Or rather, they're, they're part of Worth the Candle's narrative, but not June's narrative not not the dm's story right right no yeah i mean that's definitely the way amaryllis is seeing it i mean that's why i think there's a a level of dramatic irony when she is thinking that and and we're actually looking at her at the time because it's you know what we're reading directly contradicts what she's thinking um assuming that we're looking in the narrative the way i was looking at it as opposed to the way amaryllis is looking at it yeah i wonder if the story will give us one way or another or if it'll just be one of those things where we can I, don't just, what, I don't know what narrative it is, but I, I can I can tell you when I, or I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Is Was there more to that? No. I, I think I may have cut you off early. No, I just had to, uh, like, I put that in the unorganized thoughts section because I finally articulated, articulated it in my brain today. Okay. Oh, hey, before we continue with the unorganized thoughts, or I guess this is an unorganized thought, but mm-hmm. it is not relevant to the thing we usually talk on this podcast, but it is relevant to me and I am on this podcast. So I thought I would mention it real quick. Uh, I, I, I'm going to, I had already announced this also on, um, on the other podcast, I'm on mind killer, the mind killer, and I'm going to mention it on basing conspiracy as well because I'm just super stoked about this, but I figured I'd mention it here as well. Uh, I entered a few months ago a short story into the EA, of EA being the Effective Altruism uh, Fiction Contest, and I took third place in that, or a third place, because there are multiple third places, uh, and it is now published on the Effective Altruism forums, and I got the a, a very generous award for that and made the most per word that I have ever made writing fiction. So uh, I was... I was really stoked about that and just wanted to share it with everybody. Oh and, my god! Uh, yeah, I, I I am just grinning like an idiot over here. I thought you were going to just warn everybody you're going on vacation, and I was, and then it was no, like all this crazy, 
Yeah, we'll do that later. Who cares? Yeah. This is yeah, yeah. this is insanely exciting. Congratu- congratulations, man. Holy <laughs> Thank heck. you very much. Yeah. I didn't it's, even know that you'd you'd entered in one. Well, I mean, j- I'm always trying to get short stories published somewhere and the vast majority of the time you get rejected, so you don't tell every single time you submit somewhere, right? Because no, otherwise it'd be like, well, I mean, <laughs> otherwise it'd be like, okay, this week I submitted to these three venues. Let's see if I hear back and then then just keep going like that. But Sometimes you write original stories for these things. Well, often you write original stories for the prompts, right? Uh, not often anymore. Uh, I started out doing that a lot. Nowadays, I mostly write what I want to write. But this one was like, I mean, I, I already had wanted to write something like this for a while. And the prompt came up and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm jumping on this right now. Well, I guess what I meant is that you put in work into the the contest entering. Yeah. And if even if no one whatever, even if all those idiots are like, man, we're going to go with this trite nonsense instead. Like, Jesus, dude. At the, at the very least, you you still made something. And if you don't tell people, then we don't know about it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of things I've made that people don't know about because it hasn't gotten published. I wonder, like, so, you know, keep some of those in your pocket to, like, resubmit to other things. But maybe find a yeah. way to sell those because I'd pay to read them. I mean, I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, put them behind a paywall on your website or something. Oh, that. Eh. Well, see, there's the thing where there's less prestige when you're self-published. When someone else has paid you money to publish your work, then like you know it was good enough for somebody to fork over some dollars for something, and that that seems like a thing, you know. Okay, does it? So does it matter that that you know that someone forked over money, or that other people think that? Because we can just set up a shell corporation. <laughs> no, no, I mean both, I guess, but I don't think it's worth the effort to set up a shell corporation. I mean, I, I got. I think it's fifty bucks to incorporate in Colorado. You know. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I think I think it'd be worth fifty bucks to be like, oh, look at this! Can you believe that the prestigious whatever Bayesian what, conspiracy? No, we'll have to think of something like outlandish, over the top, like best stories ever confirmed LLC or something. I don't know. Yeah, uh, you know. I, see that I'm not the writer. That's no, no. That's that's yeah. a pretty decent one though. <laughs> anyway, congratulations! I I can hope that you'll send us a link in the uh, um, show notes. Yeah, totally. I'll include a link. It's only a thousand words, which is uh, about four pages of text. So yeah, it's a super short story and uh, I, I'm pretty happy with it. And apparently so were the judges of the contest. So huzzah. That is One of awesome. the judges of the contest was Alexander Wales, incidentally. Well, so, that's something. Yeah. So I mean, there were a number of judges and I don't know how many how many votes or points or whatever my story got. Maybe he was like, this one is the worst one and gave it zero. And then other people were like, well, I liked it. Let's give him third place at least. So, but I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say like he's endorsing my story or something. I have no fucking clue, but uh, he was a judge on the, on the thing. So there's that. If, if he didn't abstain, I'm sure that he was able to keep his objectivity. I'm not sure if those, they were submitted with author names on them. Well, then his objectivity, you know, was guaranteed. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know he was that involved in EA stuff. I mean, uh, I knew that well, he was a writer. Yeah. He's a well-known writer in rationalist circles, and there's a big overlap between rationalists and effective altruism people. So someone probably pulled him in. They were like, hey, I, I know a good writer. Let's uh, have him judge things. That's so cool. Yeah, I know, right? All right. Well, congratulations, man. What's the story called? I See Dead Kids. Woo. <laughs> Okay, I'm yeah. excited. Oh, and if this relates to effective altruism, I can think of a couple of avenues this might go. Yes, um, you probably already know where it's going. Well, I, I, I think I've got a sketch, but I, 
I will have to read the... I see dead kids. Man, that sounds heavy. I'm super into it. All right. Cool. But anyways, we're not here to talk about me anymore. We're here to talk about something else. Steven, what are we doing here? We forgot to introduce the show. This yeah, is we the, did. This is the podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, where Enosh and I sit down every week to talk about Alexander Wales, the aforementioned Alexander Wales web serial, Worth of the Candle. Indeed. Uh, you can support us on our Patreon if you like. Uh, we really greatly appreciate that as i mentioned just a little while ago knowing that someone's willing to fork over a few bucks for something you've done really makes it feel more special and more important in a way and so i mean even if it's just a couple dollars it it makes us feel makes us feel good i don't know i don't want to get sappy so i'm just going to keep going anyways uh we do give 15 percent of this over to alexander wales as well because this is his work that we're talking about we couldn't do this without uh that source material to mine so yeah you can you can support us that way you can also support him directly at his patreon as well uh we have a link to that in our show notes uh in addition to our own so you can do both those things and let's get into the show proper eh that sounds good with one more quick meta comment of i got my covid booster on thursday morning we're recording tuesday night and i've been feeling a little crummy since i think that i got through like the the sick part of it like that night it was awesome i was like shivering and sweating for like several hours under seven layers of blankets I, i can fortunately do this thing when like something sucks but it's unusual or like it's at least not common that like i can enjoy the novelty of it yeah you know, so if I'd been sick for a week by day five, I, you know, I'd be super pissed. But, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't been sick since the beginning of COVID, right? So, like, yeah. I at, at least probably sometime before that because I was already kind of germaphobic. Um, mm-hmm. So feeling feeling crappy for a night was fun. Anyway, unless it's not clear yet, my my throat's kind of wonky. I'm hoping it's, I just actually caught and have the most mild case of COVID ever. But if not, then awesome. I, I blame the, the 5G pumping through my veins. Um, <laughs> but I'll do my yeah. best to keep my sniffs and I'll you know mute the mic when I'm coughing and stuff. Speaking of appreciating, appreciating the novelty, um, I mean, sometimes you have a sickness and it's just miserable. You're vomiting, whatever you hate it. But like other times, like especially when it's a, a head cold kind of thing where you feel dizzy and feverish and just tired. I, I sometimes when I'm laying there, I'm thinking, you know what? This isn't that different from being high, aside from the being really tired part. <laughs> like some people pay good money to get in this mental state, and I just get it for free because of nature right now. I'm going to try to enjoy it. If it was just the head stuff, yeah, maybe. It's yeah. I, luckily I don't get the chills on like you know drugs, but but that is that is a nice you know again just taking it from like a different perspective. Um, I forget the is it uni? I can't remember whatever he calls sea urchin. Um, mm. but like I tried that several years ago and it was the worst thing I've ever put in my mouth. And, <laughs> uh, I finished, e- you know, eating the bite I took and politely rejected us the offer for a second piece. Um, mm. and th- what got me through it was like, okay, let's not focus on the disgusting, warm fish brain that feels like sand in your mouth. Let's, you know, let's, let's focus on like, the, how how weird this is the, the sensation rather than like the taste you know so like just kind of dissociating from it but also like yeah. mindfully focusing on it yeah yeah it, it was that bad huh oh man i i encourage you to try it just to j- tell me if i'm crazy the guy i was with finished it i mean he liked it so uh, and it's fish brain n- no it just feels like it it's a sea urchin oh oh, oh okay okay yeah yeah so All like right. imagine like if you you know you've had sushi so like mm. imagine if you pulverized sushi and like just let it sit on the sidewalk for like an hour 
<laughs> and then came and like just scooped it up with a with a fork and ate it. And like whatever gravel was in the sidewalk is also now in the in the stuff because it felt grainy and it, it felt sounds, mushy. Man, that sounds awful. It was bad, but people eat it, so it you know some people like it. No, yeah. I mean delicacy, right? I suppose maybe because it's delic- hard to catch, you know. <laughs> A delicacy is any food that is awful, but your ancestors were starving once, and so they had to develop a taste for it. The first person to eat a crab must have been really hungry. I don't know. Why? Because they're they're pointy spider, you know, aquatic spider monsters. And I well, love crab. It's delicious. But, like, looking at one, I wouldn't even know how to start eating it. It's got a hard shell and everything, right? I mean, that hard shell has got to be protecting something really good. <laughs> it was. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We've digressed enough for the beginning. Right? We're almost 15 minutes into this, and we haven't started yet. And we're still not going to start, because we have a comment from Fred LF from the Discord who pointed out that um, in the text it says vibrational magic was locked to a magic item, which was tightly controlled by the Athenaeum Sound and Silence, and besides that, rate limited. Um, Which makes it sound very much like it's a... A limit imposed by the magic item itself, as rather than um, by the Athenaeum. So uh, maybe maybe they couldn't make everyone a vibrational mage, and I was getting uh, you know getting offended on the behalf of the proletariat for no good reason. <laughs> I it I, I'm glad that he pulled that out. Um, you know, because you're right. If if under your interpretation, they could get a velocity mage to kind of just run around and boop everybody on the plane, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if it only works for, say, 100 people a day or maybe 500 people a week, I don't know, whatever its thing is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then they're they're doing the most they can. But yeah, yeah I suppose we'll see. And speaking of Fred LF, um, he pointed out one other thing. Skip 15 seconds if you want a thing that he put in spoiler text. It's how it's how Fen's bow works. I, um, you know what? I think because that's not word of God, we should just not necessarily mention it. Oh, since it is word of God, but not word of story. Oh, right, right, right. Since it's not canon. All right. Well, I'm going to mention it just because I teased it. Oh, and then fine. people can skip it if they want. According to the author, not according to the story, it recharges, I think, with like a one-third chance of gaining a charge every morning. So yes. that, that was that's the non, non-in-text explanation for how it recharges. So take, take what you will, but you can also chop all that if you want, so... Yeah, and he did say that he was planning to put that in the book, but then uh, forgot it was left out. I mean, I don't know how many pages this thing will end up being by the time it's done, but I don't know how you keep track of your notes when you're writing something like this. So if you forgot one or two things, I can totally dig it. And it's honestly, the thing is, it's not a spoiler. I just feel weird mentioning it since it isn't in the canonical text, but eh, I don't know. It's no big deal, I guess. Yeah, take it with whatever grain of salt that, you know that comes with yeah all right right. shall we get into it yeah 156 momrath 2 electric boogaloo woohoo and uh, it opens he's still climbing the thing and it just says when the bats showed up my first thought was oh of course there are bats Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's just like the you know this is my life now kind of resigned thing yeah it just needs to rain now get his socks wet and then be a guaranteed shitty afternoon for him how could he have possibly thought that there wouldn't have been bats or something along the way? Yeah. Like and obviously. Yeah. Super razor sharp, you know, intense bats that he has to save scum to survive. So. 
Yep. And with a bite strength that must be assisted by magic because couldn't uh, couldn't happen that way just by the physics of what they look like. Uh, but yeah, he kills some mumbats. The first time he kills one, he gets the mumbat defeated pop up. And I was slightly surprised that he didn't get like Fluffykins, the fourth of her litter defeated. <laughs> <laughs> I think the DM is getting very soft on this where he's not naming the mumbats. I guess the, uh, you know, they, they have to have maybe parents that can talk or something for it to count, right? I guess they they weren't named by anything, so Hard, yeah. it's hardly fair. Yeah, still, yeah. DM seems to be fucking with him. He, he could have just kept fucking a little harder, fluffy kins. Uh, <laughs> and so, because being a world-ending monster isn't enough, Momrath also has like is also gross and mm-hmm. pops boils at June, and wisely he decides to plummet to the earth or to the ground instead of being coated with the nonsense. So and. It's interesting he does that because he feels the tug of luck and he just immediately follows it as opposed to fighting it, which I want to say is probably a a um, knock-on effect of having hung around with Fen for so long and heard about what happened every single time she didn't just go with her luck immediately. And uh, I think he was very wise to have learned that lesson from her and been like, no, nope, fuck it. My luck's telling me to do something and I'm going to do it. I agree. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't need luck to tell me to do it. I would have jumped you know, jumps to my death to avoid getting coated in monster pus anyway. But, um, you know, it's interesting because like from the DM, from the story, from the tabletop perspective, um, luck is like, how would luck even work if you're playing D and D like your, your DM says, "Mm, roll a die for luck. And like, okay, you get a sense that if you stand where you are, you're going to get hit in the face. Mm -hmm. Is that how it works? Well, no, so the the problem with that kind of thing is like in a video game you can roll things in the background without the player's uh, knowledge but in a tabletop game if you ask someone to um they're just walking along and you're like roll your detect traps skill immediately the player knows like oh shit there's a trap here and even if i roll shitty so my character doesn't know there's a trap now I have that knowledge and then you either have to role play that you don't know and you walk right into the trap or um or your character starts behaving in ways they wouldn't have behaved if you hadn't rolled those dice. So oftentimes what happens is when you have those sorts of skill checks that are going to happen uh, before the, uh, before the session begins, you just go and roll a bunch of skill checks and the DM puts them in a list, uh, you know, in order of what you rolled them and then uh, rolls randomly to decide where to start on that list. And can, yeah, and then consults the table just secretly behind a screen when he needs to see yeah, if you uh, if you've passed or failed a check. Okay, that's that's a really clever solution for how to do a tabletop. Yeah. I guess I was just thinking because like with video game logic, it makes perfect sense that the second June Spider Sense tingles, he knows that like oh, this is the creator of the universe telling me I'm in danger, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you're right. Probably he's watching Ben get cut in half helped hone that sense for him. But uh, I imagine that. It's just got to be the closest to cheating that he's got, right? Yeah. So well, well, I don't know. The safe's coming. Far. <laughs> oh yeah, the safe's coming too. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a little more cheating than the luck thing, but it's yeah, it's also a powerful cheat. Yeah, if luck worked, you know, one hundred percent of the time, then yeah, it's super cheating. Um, yeah. But yeah, the safe's coming is pretty good cheating, and then he he cheats in the third chapter of today's reading too. So yes, very much excite. 
Okay, so yeah, he plummets to the ground, uh, which he survives. And he he's like, ah, shit, how do I get up there again? He talks to Amaryllis through the tattoo. And he says, uh, I got as I got myself beneath Mumrath, I gave her a brief description of what I had planned. And she swore and then agreed to divert from their rescue efforts. Which just, you, you, you read that and you're like, huh, they've told me many times about the guaranteed uh, plan promise. And we just here saw that there is a plan, but we are not being told the plan in the narrative. And therefore, it's probably going to be a good plan that works out. That's, that's what I pulled out as well. Cool. I'm like, oh, good. He didn't tell us what it is, which means we can count on it working. Yeah. Um, and it, he must be confident in it because he's having his friends divert from their like search and rescue operation, which is actually like really, really important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets back up on top of this thing by using that ring that I forgot about that lets him teleport a mile into the sky. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that's what I'm fucking talking about. Time to get stupid. And <laughs> I, I remembered where that phrase came from other than like just somehow being one of my favorites. I feel like for my whole life, but it was uh, when he was like, I think crossing the desert and burning through his own bones. That's when he said time to get stupid. Yeah. Okay. And so I, cause I, I knew that sounded familiar. So I searched the text for it and that's the only place it appears, but nice. I, this just felt like the perfect time for it. Um, mm-hmm. he's like, all right, let's get back up there. What was I doing? Climbing anyway. And, <laughs> um, like a he, chump, right. And he's got that six eyed virtue that allows leeway with definitions. And so, like Momrath, you know, has something like blood mm. and June has blood. So it's like th- because the degrees of reasonableness are now are now fuzzy because mm. I, I totally forgot about it. And I don't remember if I called this out. I must have back then. But that that perk is about as druid nonsense as it gets. You know? Yes. Yeah. It's like if you can make a reasonable case for it. Fine. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> I'll let it fly. Yeah, I'll allow it. <laughs> That, yeah, that was great. So he mixes their blood and he begins like fucking around with his blood through his blood. Uh, and you, I apparently you don't remember this. Um, I My note here is that you called it that he was going to do this because the first time that you found uh, you heard about the whole being able to um, force your blood into somebody and fuck with them that way. You were like, oh, shit. He's totally going to do that in in some sort of major fight. And I was like, well, you know, it's going to be really hard to like hold someone down and force your blood into them or whatever. But yeah, you you, you knew it was going to happen. And there we go. Oh, I thought you meant like I called it specifically for this fight. No, no, no. Yeah. But like, yeah. And I was, and then you were like, yeah, I guess as long as you're holding people down to force your blood into them, they you, they're already kind of in submission. But yeah, there was here was a case where he. He can force his blood into someone when he's not winning already. Yeah, I didn't even consider the idea that he could be fighting some Leviathan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the uh, and he doesn't even have to like just exorcist vomit blood into the person. He can now like porcupine spike it or spear it into them. Mm-hmm. And which, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, which is totally what he does. And once he's doing that and like touching Mumrath, uh, he also starts burning his bone. Um, which is also a thing you called when you were like oh he can just pull the, those stats from any bone and it leaves the bone like why should he could just do that to an enemy and again i was like well you know you got to touch their bones first that's kind of hard and and here we go yeah and, and this is another example of the same thing right like in general if you can touch your opponent's bones you've won the fight right <laughs> yeah like yeah. unless maybe teeth but i don't 
I don't think teeth counted because he didn't. We've never heard him reference them when doing bone magic. So like, yeah, that's true. You know, I was gonna say if you could shove your fingers into their mouth or something, but yeah, no. In in general, if you can touch somebody's bones, you've uh, <laughs> you've won. But yeah. in this case, no, he's just he's just on his way to winning, and he gets mm-hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog achievement, strong and unbreakable. Um, that you know, that, Son- Sonic spelled with an A. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about this till a couple years ago, and a coworker of mine sent me a GIF. We were like, it was something to you know hurry on something at work, and he just sent you know Giphy slash you know search Sonic. And it sent like this ridiculous drawing of Sonic. And it's just like, got to go fast or something. <laughs> so the, throwing that in here as an achievement was awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And strong. Strong. Yeah. And then now, Unbreakable, I, that, I assume, must, might just be a reference to the movie with Bruce Willis. Because of the bones? Um, yeah. that that I mean, that was my guess. It's it's generic enough of a word that that's not necessarily the case. But I assume since the other two were internet things. Yeah, that that's a safe bet. I think you're right. I, I just assumed it was like, you know, like the only serious achievement out of those three. But no, why would it be? It's, it's another movie, movie reference. Why not? Yeah, totally. But yeah, he, his purpose here in doing this is to drain the stats so hard out of this thing that it's going to be like at zero uh, or close to it. And you can actually just kill it by slapping it real hard. And uh, Mumrath is having none of this, and so turns around and does its exploding glare or whatever to blow them up and blow a hole in himself, but, you know, not kill himself totally. And this is a problem for June, because getting blowed <laughs> up is usually fatal. Usually. Yeah. But he, no. has a, he has a unicorn bone and princes and vulnerability, yes. which I think he got off camp. Like, I don't think, I think this is the first time he's mentioned it, right? Um... Gosh, I, feel like I don't remember his, now. I feel like if he's walking around at this, we I would have remembered. I so think it, he this might, might have, have been like a dozen chapters ago when they were first loading up on stuff at the beginning of the book or at the beginning of this book. Maybe I'll double check. But like, if it if it was the first time it was mentioned, it would be kind of like the void, you know, bomb arrow thing, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, we didn't tell you about this until now, so they wouldn't be thinking about we should use it now. We should use it now, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that could but, be too. Yeah. Anyway, so he's got the invulnerability and the unicorn stuff going on because I think probably his spider sense is also tingling. And if it's not a spider sense, you can just see that like this kaiju is about to Godzilla blast their the whole party, which mm-hmm. reminds me the whole party is next to him on, you know, this blood hole, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so they all get princess invulnerability too, except for uh, Val because she doesn't have a soul. Val's not a person. Yep. Because magic was, is bigoted. It really is. It's It's baked into the laws of the universe itself the the bigotry <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the it, it's great the first time he grabs her he's holding on to her arm and then uh he's holding on to just her arm because that's how far his his invulnerability extended to protect her and so he 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 loops with the the unicorn born and tries harder like grabs her and uh then he's holding just her upper half the rest of her was vaporized he's like fuck i can't i can't make her invulnerable no matter how much of her i try to i try to grab and i I had to pull that out because I thought it was awesome. Just like the visual of him trying to save her and grab pieces of her. And then all he has is those pieces. And it was, you know, just kind of gory and gruesome in a way that I consider fun. No, it, it definitely was. And it's funny because I read that like slowly taking comments throughout the, like what ended up just being like a few sentences 
mm-hmm. but it took me five minutes to get through because I'm sitting there, you know, going to highlight and comment and stuff. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was agonizing because I'm just like, okay. oh shit, I know what, you know, I see where this is going. He's going to try, you know, nine ways to Sunday to save her and then it's not going to work and yeah. oh, he's going to just watch crushing. her die over and over. Right. So that, yeah. that's what I was worried about. Um, luckily, he's not ready to just like he's not going to take that shit laying down. So he dumps a bunch of stats and maxes out his, his, uh, still magic. Yes. The, this was, so, uh, I, I had to pull this out. I believe there's a digression right here where, uh, he talks about the Arab, um, Bumblefuck crew. What was the name of Arab Bumblefucks? Fumblebuck. Uh, Fumblebuck is what he called. Yeah, it's called Fumblebuck then. Cause there was like oh, an official. Right. It has a real name, name, but I forgot it. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't memorable. <laughs> But he said that uh, in their games, the still mages were mostly their tanks, although they didn't have any way of taking aggro. And nowadays in, in role-playing tabletop games, there is ways to take aggro, but I kind of hate that. Because like I think it's fine in video games, since video games, the whole thing about video games is they're just a mechanics playground, right? It's it's not that big a deal if you're if you're breaking immersion or whatever by having a taunt mechanic. But All right. when you say take aggro, just I know what you're talking about, but there's a chance somebody doesn't. It's oh. it's not. You can you can play a lot of games and never come across the the concept. Yeah, aggro is uh the who the um enemy is focusing on at the moment when you're playing with multiple players in a party. That's right. I guess I should say it, it's like any game where you're not playing a party based game. You know, like a uh, uh, Dragon Age or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, th- those will have aggro where it's like okay, which which person in the party is the enemy going after yes exactly it's yeah who's the target for whom yeah and i think that the way that that usually works in the games i've played is like either you've got like you know the barbarian who has like a taunt you know Mm -hmm. yell or something which i imagine is just like calling everyone you know all the demons moms a slut or something (laughs) right and they get enraged and go for the barbarian Mm -hmm. but you're right like it's not it's not a sensible mechanic especially if you're not fighting you know dim-witted demons and you're fighting like people yeah. They're like, like that's okay, the... this guy called my mom a slut, but that person back there is sustaining him. I'm going to go after the person who's keeping him alive and kill the guy who insulted my mom. Exactly. Like, it's the tabletop games are supposed to be plausibly realistic. Like, this is stuff that could happen. And when when there's a guy in the front line who's absolutely fucking invincible because the healer in the back has got a glowy thing protecting him, you're you're going for the healer. Like, you, the guy can call your mom a slut all he wants, and you're like, yeah, you know what? I'll kill you for calling my mom a slut right after I've killed the healer that's making you invincible. And and so it's... Uh, I hate that that's a thing in tabletop games now, because, I mean... But it almost has to be, because otherwise there's no point in having a tank class if if the monsters can just go around them. The only time they couldn't is if, like, you're in a tight hallway or something, and you can physically stop someone from going around you, but... Otherwise, oftentimes it just comes down to a bunch of DPS classes or a bunch of damage dealers and uh, like some healers trying to keep them up and stay hidden or whatever. And it just it makes for less good gameplay if you don't have a tank, but it also makes it not realistic. Well, like remember when he was fighting Larkspur in uh, whatever town that was Mm -hmm. and and the other party, too, had had a tank like the soul bond thing. Yeah, see, that um, makes sense because that's magic. You're like, I just take the damage, period, flat out. Yeah, that part's awesome. How unsatisfying would it be if June knew that? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, and for some reason, I felt compelled to keep hitting the guy who I knew was yeah. the damage sponge that I couldn't kill. Like, that yeah. that's what aggro 
uh, drawing is, and that's that's weird. I really wanted to not do this, but but he called my mother a slut. <laughs> How could I let that go? And suddenly, I find that I care about that a lot right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, yeah. So he gets uh, um, whatever. So he he saves Val, and they're still on top of Momrath. Everyone else is blown to the winds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's he do? He goes and he pulls out more, like he pulls more from the bones to get his stats into the negatives. Mm-hmm. And which per Raymer means that he should be trivially easy to kill. Um, mm-hmm. Remember when he was worried about that? When his, one of his stats early on hit zero. Um, did it hit zero or did it hit one? No, it hit zero. Cause he was like, Oh good. That turns out that's not, that's not lethal. Okay, cool. But I, I forget which one it was. It was from his, his cowardice afflictions. Um, right but yeah so it wasn't uh endurance it yeah i'm not sure what it was but whatever it was oh you're right so maybe he's just pulling out like physical slash endurance or whatever because that's Mm -hmm. the one that needs to go negative but at the very Mm -hmm. least uh june went to zero not negative right yeah yeah but yeah you're right if you have negative endurance it just means that like i'm only alive because i haven't taken damage yet right right and so my hp is is sitting at zero but it's not like it's it's sitting at almost zero yeah so he just and really needs Bethel to go stop the thing in face. yeah bethel comes in like a goddamn x-wing again <laughs> and flies literally flies through the whole thing like in the next chapter we hear that when she comes out the uh the the amaryllis and palada who are not amaryllis raven and palada who are like a mile away see guts and flesh like blowing out the exit wound and i was like that is fucking awesome and what's great is it was like probably immense overkill because I think she could have just like dropped a rock on it. Yeah, probably. Well, but still, you, you want to be safe. Yeah. And, uh, oh, she burnt through her last wish, dropping everyone off up here, too. Yeah. And so, you know, sure, it's irresponsible to return to the fight, but it was cool watching her kill this thing like a Death Star. Yes. And then I was thinking, okay, this has to earn him a level up. Which begs the question, can he do this five more times since he's got the unicorn bone and get five more level ups? And I'm like, dude, fucking do it. How many times are you going to do this on, on unicorn juice? Um, <laughs> did, did Well, he would have had to know that the killing blow was about to happen and, and start the unicorn blow, bone going. Oh, did he still he, have one left at this point? No, you're right. Uh, he had uh, he had stopped using the unicorn blood or the unicorn bone. You're right. Yeah. I had to skim the text, but Val. yeah, I figured he could have just kept going with that timeline and like left the unicorn stuff, you know, burning in the background until it was done. But I don't know if there was there, like, I'm not sure exactly how long it t- took him to pull that endurance from the bones, but I think it was more than like the six seconds, six to 10 seconds you get with a unicorn bone. Yeah, no, I think you're right, which is a bummer. I mean, it's great, uh, yeah. but well, it turns out, I think it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Um, because the so he gets an achievement more like wuss lord am i right uh, <laughs> and am i right is spelled you know one word yeah uh, like internet speak i love the dm he's great um yeah. sure he made hell but other than that great guy <laughs> he um, seems all right he's got yeah. a good sense of humor <laughs> quest completed momrath the forgotten momrath has fallen his corpse evermore a record of his existence uh the quest cannot be repeated if another momrath is summoned summoned from beyond space and time Oh, I see. So that's that's alluding to the fact that Harold might try and summon another one of these things. Not that I thought that if he were to like restart, you know, the the unicorn juice, that it's like, no, nope, this only counts once, right? You know, but uh, I still feel like the DM probably wouldn't let that count more than once. I just, agree. 
because you know it's not fair but he does get two level ups out of this yes from killing it and from the quest completion pretty cool that's damn awesome yeah he may he may have gotten the quest when he was busy or something um because we never saw him get this quest didn't i don't think I, you're right, but we couldn't have seen him get the quest because Mumrath has the anti-meme thing going, so he wouldn't have seen it. I mean, it could have popped up on a screen, like, when he first laid eyes on the thing. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think I was, this isn't the first time he's finished a quest without, like, getting the quest first. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, in any case, he killed this giant thing. And he did. Well, before I forget, I meant to put this in the notes and I didn't, but, like, one, one of my, like, meta thoughts on the whole thing with this, like... I visually had no idea what was going on okay. and it might be my bad imagination. Like this was the thing that happened a lot with um, like the giant monster fights with uh, in um, worm. Mm. It's like, okay, I get it. This thing is the size of a skyscraper and they're fighting it, but I don't understand like where are people in relation to other people? Okay. Um, so I also don't know what this thing looks like. You know, it's, I, I'm assuming it's flesh colored, but it's hair is also fingers Maybe it's supposed to be weird to picture because it's, you know, this whatever LSD fueled uh, <laughs> poem monster. Mm-hmm. But I I guess I just wanted to throw that out there that like I never got a good sense of like where they were, what this thing actually ended up looking like. like does it look like a spider with finger legs? You know, uh, I but mean, it, I kind of it turned had... its head around to look at them, which, you know, so it has to be able to do that. You know, it had, so it's got a yeah, neck. like I had a long snaky kind of neck. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of have my own envisioning in my head, but I I think it would be kind of like boring to try to sit down and explain it all how I'm seeing it. And it'd be different from what everyone else is seeing anyway. So wouldn't matter that much. Yeah, fair enough. I guess I, I mean, was like, just... honestly, the, the, the important parts is that he's standing in a pool of blood at first and tons of like uh, long finger things with his five people and then after the explosion he's standing in a giant crater made out of flesh and then the whole thing is falling down yeah i got the key bits i think it's just yeah. like i managed to go this whole time without like really getting us into what this thing looked like um, okay but i might have just glazed over some of the gross description stuff you know with its hair being fingers and i don't know maybe that just like my brain instinctively didn't register that <laughs> it's i mean it is hard to imagine that many 36 knuckle long fingers just kind of writhing around you know well those might have been the legs right so like then the hair on the legs i think was also fingers no the legs itself were just like giant trunk things uh that had three knees oh okay and the hair was like these long fingery things gross okay yeah Yeah. so so clearly i just didn't read it because my brain didn't want to so all right (laughs) this is not I, I will i'll leave it up to the you know to the other readers to let me know or to i guess make their own determination as to whether or not maybe i'm just bad at picturing kaiju fights when they're written down I, like maybe if something if something gets bigger than like i don't know a a house maybe mm-hmm. you know maybe a big house then i just have a hard time picturing it's like okay yeah so we're both on its left shoulder but it's his left shoulder so big we can't see each other i'm like okay well then what the hell am i even looking at right yeah, um, yeah. this thing's not that big but still it gets hard to picture. Yes. It's very far outside of our normal experiences. Too big. Yep, yep. But yeah, Too this is fun. Too strong. <laughs> he he tries to radio to Amaryllis with the tattoo, but she's unresponsive. Mm. Um, and then Paladin and Raven are gone, too, because they, they got blown away in the explosion. Only 
June and uh, Val, Val were still there because he stilled them in the same location. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, Raven's badass. She'll be fine. Um, Palada, I think we learned later, was also fine because Raven saved her. But I figured, hey, if she dies, like, they can just age her back up again in the time chamber. I they suppose shouldn't... they could if they could find, like, where she was born. They'll find, she'll find them. I mean, eventually, but, like, oh, she yeah. starts out It'll as take a infant. few months or a few years before she can get around to, uh, yeah. I would imagine it would take, like, at least a year and a half. That's when toddlers can start toddling and making word noises, right? And she's, I mean, even then, a toddler's going to have a hard time toddling their way to the Isle of Poran or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how quickly she acquires language. Maybe if it's real fast, she can, you know, in a few months, talk to her mom and be like, Hey, mom, I'm actually Palada. If you want, like, a million dollars or so, please ship me off to June. <laughs> you can put me in a box with a sleeve of Oreos. I'll be fine. Just mail me out that way. <laughs> exactly. I wonder if uh, they could just find, like, you know, whatever, put an ad in the paper and Leo be like, hey, who was pregnant and just had a pink baby? You know? Oh, yeah. Million, million pound reward or whatever. Right. Um, any million ovals. <laughs> Did the Mumrath attack scare you so much you went into labor? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to make a million dollars? Do you want to get ad. rid of that annoying pink child which is just going to steal things from you anyway? <laughs> All right. So he gets back to the ship um, and he's got some virtues. Because he's yes. got soul magic maxed out, right? Uh, still magic. That's right. Still. So instinctive halting. This is the one where it's like, okay, if you were going to steal the thing, it'll steal it for you, right? Yes. Basically, now bullets won't hit you even if they catch you by surprise. Yeah. Um, still soul. Uh, you can steal any changes to your soul, including natural ones. Um, That's pretty damn cool. Yeah, I don't understand what the... Uh, like. When contesting an entad, roll against its eye level with a multiplier for reasonableness. Actually, I'll get to that in a second. But okay. first bit, it can still change this to your soul. And I'm like, oh, well, his soul is currently in a modified state. Can he still those changes? That's what I'm hearing, right? Mm-hmm. So that already seemed pretty exciting. Um, and then uh, the second part, it's like, you know, when contesting a skill use, follow normal contest rules. For other cases, consult your dungeon master. <laughs> and I'm like, so... The, the DM is just, uh, oh, and then the instinctive halting one, too. It said that uh, it consult the manual or something, right? Mm-hmm. And or maybe it wasn't under instinctive halting. It was under one of them. Uh, see luck rules was under instinctive halting. That's right. And it's like, okay, yeah, the DM is really waving this manual in his face, right? Mm-hmm. So it seems like it either exists and he's you know telling June, go get this thing because I, I want you to go get it. Or it doesn't. And he's just fucking with him. Either way, it's great. It, it but, sounds very much like um, like virtues that were written for a tabletop campaign. Totally. But, you know, the, the DM, I, I would like to think, can, like, change the text on these things, right? I'm sure he could, and he just didn't want to in this case. <laughs> maybe, maybe, there's a, maybe there's a manual, and the DM has it. No one else is allowed to see it. Yeah. But I like that, so that, you know, oh, yeah, you're allowed to pause and ask the DM for clarification, <laughs> you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're confused about the rules. <laughs> That would be the best virtue of all. Still so uber powerful now. You can just pause and talk to the DM at any point. Right. And he'll probably just tell you to fuck off or whatever. But I just like the idea that you can get in there and be like, okay, hold on. Sorry. So am I allowed to do this? And what? Is he going to just say test and figure it out? Or will he tell you? That's not that, you know, could be overpowered, but he doesn't need that. Well, no, no, he does not because he (laughs) has meta stilling. So this was surprising. So meta stilling one, one sentence 
you can still any game effect with a duration. Yeah. And like, holy shit. When I first read that, I was like, that's a big fucking deal. Because there's a lot of game effects with durations, like the fact that his skill points are counting down whenever he's overcapped. So that was that was one of the things that I was like, um, like that that was the thing I had considered, right? Because mm-hmm. like that is a game level thing because he has to do game shenanigans to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so still super awesome. It means that he can stay, you know, overcapped on his skills for as long as he wants. Um, we learn later that I guess if he loses consciousness, it goes away. But because um, instinctive halting only works while he's conscious. Oh, that's right. Yeah, which you know, I guess makes sense. Um, I wonder how conscious you have to be. Like, if you hear a gunshot, do you wake up fast enough for instinctive halting to stop the bullet? <laughs> uh, it may depend on how close the bullet, what uh, the gun was to you, because the bullet starts out going faster than the speed of sound, so it would reach you before the sound of the gunshot. Yeah, if it's some sniper from you know a ways away, then yeah, you'll be just anyway. I guess don't sleep in the open, but. Well, um, I don't know how fast they slow down. Maybe at some point the bullet slows down enough that the sound wave could catch up and then hit you first. But also then you'd have to like actually wake up and I don't know if you can wake up that fast. That would be a ways away as far as like the bullet would, be pretty, would have to be going pretty slow for the sound wave to catch up, I think. I'm not a physicist, well, okay. but in the like one YouTube video I saw breaking down how that works, because every movie does it wrong. Mm-hmm. Like every movie you hear the sniper off in the distance shooting bullets and then they like see them hit the ground near them. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's the other way around. Okay. And, but anyway, um, what I didn't guess, and I don't think I had any reason to guess, was that this also works for Prince's invulnerability. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. I feel like that's the DM throwing him a bone for, for fun and science. because You think? Yeah, because I... So Prince's invulnerability isn't a game effect. It's a spell that anyone can it's, do. Well... The no, that's that's a game effect. Like everything is a game effect. He's in a game. Well, if everything's a game effect with a du- you know, I guess it has to have a duration. Then, like, I I need to think about the other ways to munchkin that. But like, I was thinking it's going to be specifically game stuff. You know, things that show up like under his afflictions and his you know whatever's right. Um, I mean, I. I think that Princess and Vulnerability is a game thing. If it was in a video game that I was playing, I would assume that's a game mechanic to have that spell. Hmm. That's fair. I guess I took it as distinct. Like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a spell other people can do. So like, I figured game stuff was June specific, but you're right. You know, it's, it's the world, right? Yeah. Like other people have, everybody has skill points. You're right. Only June, yeah, only June can see them, but everyone in the world has a skill number attached to every skill they have. So you can steal any game effect with a duration. So, like, that seems to also suggest, and I'm glad he thinks of this later, um, that he can, uh, like, max out all of his skills just by grabbing some of the souls from the jars, right? Yeah, uh, since they'll never take down. And he can do that for all of his companions, because why not? Right. All right, everyone, you're going to run around with a hundred of whatever, like, your current skills are. Uh, can you use soul scapism on other people? Uh, a soul scapism is just taking the points from the thing. I think then you're just distributing the points. Um, but I assumed the soul mage could only distribute the points to himself. May- maybe a level 30 soul mage could, but maybe a level 100 <laughs> soul mage can do it to everybody, right? That's a good point. I can't remember what all the virtues were for level 100 soul magic, but I think some of them involved affecting other people's souls. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah. And if not, there's there's got to be some combination of, of all this fuckery to let him be like, look, I'm going to turn your numbers up, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. If nothing else, they have 50 in every single skill since they got half his skill. That's true. Yeah, geez. Um, all right. Well, this chapter uh, wraps up with uh, his ethics professor showing up with uh, yeah. Figaro Finch. And now we know why she was not worried about getting busted out of prison by June. Because she had, you know, the men in black on on. She was on their payroll this whole time. Exactly. Sneaky. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't think I mentioned this on the air last week because I just listened to the episode. I yeah. think I had thought, or I had thought this, but I don't remember if I had said that it would have struck me as completely plausible that, because I think I threw out some like, oh, maybe she's involved with Harold, but I don't really know. Yeah. Um, as an ethics professor, it made perfect sense for me to think that she'd be involved because she's like, look, I'm utilitarian, right? And you and I were like, yeah, destroying the world actually makes a lot of moral sense. Yeah. Destroying Arab in particular. Our world's not so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think I articulated that, but that, that would have been a, conv- a compelling reason to think that she might have been just like super pro-Herald. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. But turns out that was all wrong. So I should have just not said that. But it's not fair if I only, you know, volunteer my correct retro or like retroactive correct predictions. I got to <laughs> give the, the wrong ones too. Right. I mean, I correctly predicted uh, the winner of every Super Bowl. <laughs> After the fact, yeah. Yeah, well, you, you don't know that. Nah, I pretend that I predicted beforehand. Quick, ask me yesterday's lottery numbers. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Isn't the Super Bowl coming up? You know what? doesn't matter. We're not here for sports ball. I think it is. Okay. But we're here for chapter 157, The Bird on the Fence. Yes. Yeah, so this is a Raven POV. Yeah. Started out with her falling in the cape, helping to break her fall. And I just made me miss Ropey to see, you know... A, a sentient entad being loyal to its owner, I guess. Now that I put it that way, it sounds really creepy. But, you know, it reminded me of having a doggo. Yeah. No, you got to watch uh, Doctor Strange. His cloak is the exact same. Yeah. So in Infinity War, his cloak, you know, is like follows his orders and stuff. But in the Doctor Strange movie, it's like, you know, yanking on it. You're like, no, go over here. It's really cute. It's a lot like I imagine uh, Shadow's cloak. Oh, 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 of, of Raven's Cloak. Yeah. I was always thinking of um, the magic carpet from the good Aladdin movie. Yeah, yeah, perfect. That's, that one fits. I never saw the live action. I assume it sucked. Um, I also didn't, and I heard it sucked. That checks out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had said that it made you think of Ropey, but I remembered that when uh, Bethel was picking people up, she like lowered ropes down. Mm-hmm. I like to think that they weren't just like dangling limp ropes, that they were, you know, prehensile like ropey and that maybe that was you know him helping out okay. i know he's dead i, I can yeah but, you know maybe she was maybe she was using part of the soul that she ate from him to to maneuver those ropes helpfully and now his soul is being tortured and forced to be multiplied and do menial labor poor and ropey I, oh i think i found out the i mean this might be part of the name for the chapter you you tell me if it's the rest but mm-hmm. uh she's thinking because she's got like in honed you know instincts for adventures the capital a right mm-hmm. and instincts for when to avoid those she, it says when when the great wild worlds of adventure or when in the great wild world of worlds of adventure though instincts couldn't always be trusted because sometimes they would lead down the wrong path it meant balancing on a knife's edge sometimes and i'm like oh a bird on a fence oh that could be it yeah i assumed like bird on the fence was because we were in raven's pov and ravens are birds and then I, I I didn't really think too much about it, about the fence thing. But this, the balancing on the knife's edge also totally works. 
It's like I a mean, bird no, on the fence I, I, and it could fly off in either direction at any time. Well, it just she mentioned just you know balancing. I, I don't know where what other fence metaphorical fence she's on. Like she's not you know thinking about you know uh, she's not weighing a decision or sitting you know quote on the fence about stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I I was just I think I was just looking for where this chapter came from. So or the name yeah, came it works. from. Yeah. Yay. Uh, so they have a b- brief digression about um, falling from great heights. And uh, I I don't know if you've noticed this before, but people in Disney movies do not take fall damage. Have Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yes. Uh, it, you know, protagonists in Lord of the Rings also, or the good guys in yeah, Lord of the Rings, are yeah. also immune to fall damage. It's, uh, it's crazy. John Wick, immune to fall damage. You know, really, m- most protagonists. It, it, you, you think about it, like, even falling 15 feet, you got a good chance of breaking or spraining something. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you can hurt yourself missing a step on the stairs. Like, not if, not if you're true. an action hero, but right. you, know, you don't have to fall that far to be like, oh, shit, I fucking broke my, you know, I, fra- I hairline fractured my ankle. You know? God damn it. Should have drank more, uh, more milk. But yeah, the, the, so that, that just is one thing I've always noticed about all the animated Disney stuff. People can fall for any distance and it doesn't matter. Uh, they, and, and that's just like you were saying, it's, it's often thing in movies and stuff where it just, it doesn't matter unless it's important to the plot. Usually you can fall for ridiculous amounts of distance and it doesn't, doesn't hurt you. Uh, Uther has noticed this as well. Uh, Uther had declared that anyone worth their salt would survive a fall, no matter how fatal and unrecoverable it seemed to be. Uh, and she says it wasn't quite the first instance of narrative thinking, but it was a rather stark one. And yeah, then he goes and have p- people search for this body because throwing it out the tower <laughs> obviously wouldn't have killed anyone in a, in a normal action narrative. And uh, yeah, it's you know also a big trope with uh, comic books is no one's really de- not just comic books. Big trope with any action fiction: if you don't see the body, they may not actually be dead. And sometimes even if you do see the body. That's true. That's much easier when it comes to like comic books and things that involve magic. Uh, yeah. It, it, and Figaro like, Finch. Yeah. Yes. Fucking cheater. <laughs> right. But yeah, it'd be much harder for like, you know, a, a police procedural to have you seeing a body and then have it come back somehow. Though I guess not oh, impossible. Totally. Maybe it was like a twin brother or some shit. They somehow pulled that off in Sherlock. Uh, yes. Yeah. The BBC version. Well, the, also the original. In the original, he fell off a waterfall, and they never found his body, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure they never found his body. I didn't actually... I don't remember. I don't think I read that one. But in the BBC one, like, I think they definitely do see his body. Well, you know, at that point, they were just out of good ideas. And yeah, Then Sherlock agree. started going to shit. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. It no. was season one and two were gold, mostly. Yes, right. yes. What was I going to say, though? Oh, yeah, she was just... In that, that throwback that she's thinking there... She said Uther had thoughts, capital T, about falling as a method of injury, as Uther had thoughts about almost everything. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, this is so cool. Because mm-hmm. like, finally, someone who knew Uther, who doesn't fucking hate him like Bethel, we get to think about what it was like, you know, hanging out around this guy. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, he's not wrong about the the the, the falling business. Yeah. So it's, like, it's, it's absurd, right? If you're not, uh, if you're not a person in a story... You're like, mm-hmm. what the hell are you talking about? It's 40 stories. He's totally dead. And you've mm-hmm. got your, your insane king being like, go get the body. I demand it. Like, you know, it, then it, lo and behold, you go down there and there's no body. And you're like, well, shit, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> it 
I love this particular uh, pullout. She says, memorably, Uther had thrown a thief from the top of a tower and declared it a trial by adversity after the fact. Because, as he had said earlier, anyone worth their salt would survive a fall. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's that's perfect. If, if you don't know if this thief is actually someone important uh, or, or if you're just trying to get rid of a thief, you throw them off the top of the tower. And if it turns out they were just a thief, then good riddance. If it turns out that they were a villain, well, there was your trial by adversity. You now have proof that they were an important villain in the story because they survived. You know, lo and behold, uh, it's, I mean, he, he might as well just shoot them with a gun, right? Like that's almost, no, follows, the follows almost, the follows, follows almost always the same amount of rules, though. Like so often the protagonist gets shot and they're, they're like, it either grazes them or it misses every every uh, vital component or they're just fine, right? Well, sure, the protagonist maybe, but generally if you see someone getting run through by a sword or killed in combat or something, or oh, if something smashes yeah, yeah, them, yeah. yeah, then it's over. But if like someone just falls and then, you know, their body, you don't see the body because it goes off screen, they're like, ah, and there's a dark abyss, then you're like, he's he may not be dead. He's, he's going to come back in Act 4. Yeah, good point. And uh, Boromir got shot in Lord of the Rings. You know, he didn't die from fall damage, but he died from getting shot. So what he could do yeah. is he could find other Uthers by shooting everybody. <laughs> and whoever That's whoever true. survived being shot in the face would, you know, be a category or candidate for the next Uther. But you're right. They're not. Yeah. That's, that's a protagonist plot armor. That's not uh, important person plot armor. Yes. Okay, okay. Uh, she even goes on to say that eventually he had um, started... Put, releasing uh, people instead of just having them executed uh, and putting them through these trials by adversity and stuff. Uh, and she suspected as a way of creating plot threads from nothing. And my thought would there was that this must have been later on when he started really realizing that his entire life is creating narratives and stories and things to amuse a, a capricious God. And he didn't necessarily want to fight like an apocalypse demon every week. <laughs> so sometimes he just lets lesser villains go and maybe they can have a cool story arc by surviving and then coming back to try to get revenge or whatever. And then it's it's not an apocalypse demon. It's now this guy that has leveled up a little bit, but at least it's not going to threaten the world. Yeah. I mean, things his life was weird. <laughs> yeah, right. there, there's, there's no there's no way around it. I can see why being around him would be intoxicating for its weirdness right mm -hmm. and so yeah of course like this there's all these weird sh bullshit rules around him but like when he's always right it's like well fuck me i guess he knows the nature of reality better than i do mm -hmm. uh so they get to talking as they're uh trying to recover waiting around for mum rats or or just to get no they're waiting around to get picked up by bethel i believe uh and palada is complaining about her current life because she is not very happy with it it's she, like like she said earlier it's one of those nothing lives where you don't do anything and she says when she's got a life like this uh and people ask me what i've done lately and all i have to answer with is that i haven't i've just been sitting around waiting for various things living off the largest of past lives and then she kind of trails off and and she says i don't expect you to understand raven says you feel worthless because raven does understand and I don't know. I, I liked that. I hope we get to see a lot more of Palada because I I guess we just had a discussion about this recently, uh, which is something I think we were going to announce later. But uh, we finally recorded the meaning of life, quote unquote, episode. Um, 
but yeah, the paladin Dis- whole... discussion. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it, it was a, it was a meandering discussion. Yeah, it was it was a discussion. Yes, right, uh, but but Palada has got that going on too. The whole I don't even know what the purpose of this life is. I kind of just want to get on to the next one because this one is whatever. And I hope that we get to explore more of these themes. And we still got like a hundred chapters to go, but. Also, like when we were exploring deep stuff with Fen and Amaryllis and Grack, there was just just the four of them in a group. And now we've got like a whole ton of people and various other threads going on. And I'm worried that we're not going to have nearly as much time to explore these things. But uh, maybe, maybe we will. Also, I don't feel like she's really part of the group as much as everyone else. So that would also make me feel like she's not going to get explored as much. Yeah, but she's... I mean, I agree. We're probably not going to get a ton of time with her. I'm surprised we got a POV with her, you know? Like, it was mm-hmm. short, but we haven't had one with Solace as far as I can tell, as far as I remember. Um, no, I and, don't think we did. Yeah, and she's been with the group for longer. Uh, yeah. The, um, you know, having her on the sidelines, though, like, she, she's a great, like, Fen-style character, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I, I, I like her... I like having her around. And while I agree, I'd like to get more, more in depth, even if we don't get that, she's still fun to have at the, at a medium distance. Yeah. Like when they're on Moam Wrath, there's like these invisible rats or some shit and Val can see them, but no one else can. And mm-hmm. Palad is like, all right, just tell me where to poke. <laughs> <laughs> tell me what, tell me what needs murdering and point the way I'll stab it. Like she, she's just, she's chill. She's funny. I, I have a comment about this later, uh, about the whole Fen vibes. I I agree, basically, but I don't like it the same way that you seem to like it. Oh. Well, I mean, th- th- we're right there where I put the comments. So, I mean, uh, what do you... Uh... Uh, what is my... Okay, so my thing is that, like, I I also get the feeling that she's she's sort of... Not sort of. She's a lot like Fen. And I think someone mentioned this on the Discord as well. But, like, they're both thieves. Uh they both kind of have that humor, like you pointed out. Uh, the one where I pulled, uh, I think when I pulled it out, was um, when she's being a little bit of flirty. And, like, Fen was super flirty. She's not as flirty as Fen, I think, in large part, because she's mostly flirting with Amaryllis. And so we don't see very much of it. But, like, the fact that she's like Fen is what puts me off about her. Like, I'm trying to empathize with her, and I like her whole malaise and ennui of this life i'm not doing anything with it it feels off it's a wasted life but i am i am resentful of her i think it feels like she's trying to be a replacement fen and you can't replace fen and so i don't want her to try to fill that role i'm like back the fuck off you will never be fen and you're too much like her so i i I don't like you because of that it's too soon man I know what you mean. It's it's interesting. I'm surprised June hasn't commented on it yet because like she's in large ways just a pink fen, mm-hmm. right? And I guess Except with that, with good. a spear and not a bow. Um, mm. I mean, if we didn't have fen, we might think that she's great, right? But yeah, she's she's like eighty percent fen or something. Uh, yeah. And is this like the the DM is like we need a comic relief character like. You know, yeah, you let your last one die, so I'll find another one to shove in because I like someone making jokes, right? Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I just, I don't like it. Don't. I, I see what you mean. I, if I take out that kind of like you're replacing Fen part and just like enjoying her for what who she is, she's fun. 
Mm-hmm. But it is weird when I picture like, oh yeah, basically everything she says and does, I could imagine coming from Ben, right? Yeah, except yeah. Ben would do it better, probably most of the time. Yeah, yeah. All right, where yeah, were well, we? Yeah, so that uh, was my thing with Palada. Uh, so yeah, they're they're still talking, and um, Raven asks, "What was her excuse uh, for being shitty five hundred years ago?" Since her excuse right now is that she has a shitty, a worthless throwaway life, and Palada's like, "We were in love, Raven," and. I don't know if that question, what was your excuse 500 years ago, if it's alluding to like something bigger and more shitty that we haven't seen yet and we're going to uh, hear about it later, or if this is referring to like the betrayal Raven is talking about now when, you know, it feels like your sisters are cutting you out of their lives and you don't know why. Uh, And if it's the second one, then I just, I feel really, really bad for Raven because it's just, again, one of those situations where things couldn't be any different. Raven stays 12 no matter what. And those two are growing up and getting older and falling in love. And Raven just got fucked by shitty consequences or shitty circumstances that couldn't have been changed without, I don't know, drastically changing people's personalities. And I feel I, situations like that suck. I'm, I'm, I'm sad for her. You know, some things are just a bummer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the plus side, she gets to live to be like, you know, many thousands or many hundreds of years old. Yeah. But on the downside, she, you know, got to have her angsty teenage years for a thousand years. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that are kind of a bummer, uh, she says that she spent more than a hundred years in the infinite library and eventually she had come to think of Uther only once or twice a day. And I was like, holy shit. Can you imagine going a century and not having gotten over someone? Like, I, I guess it really does take them a damn long time to change because it, it took me more than one year probably two plus years to get rid of to get over someone that i was really deeply in love with and that shit was pretty damn awful like going through that for a century or longer would just have been horrible it's interesting i didn't get the impression that she started working at the library until like a hundred years ago right or maybe two or may i don't know i don't know when she started working at the library i know it wasn't immediately no Um, it wasn't immediately and so like there were some couple hundred years where she was off doing other stuff. Then she's like, all right, I'm going to retire quote unquote from adventuring and go mm-hmm. do this like super, super important shit at the library. Um, Jesus. So it must've been multiple hundreds of years. Yeah. That said, she doesn't, I, I don't get the impression that she's pining in a romantic way here. Like, I think it's like, again, we talked about just what a character this guy would be to share proximity with. And I oh. think that, she, yeah, I, I took it as just a, like, I thought about this guy all the time. You know, it was it was like having met Jesus, you know? Uh, I mean, yes, I could see that. I had been reading it that way for almost since the beginning because, like, from the first – I don't remember how soon it was, but pretty soon after we met her, it like, I got very strong. I, I had a giant crush on him and kind of fell in love with him vibes from her, and she's like – I always wanted him to like when she said uh, when June said that, like, maybe the DM made you an L so that you could always be 12 years old to him and always be the innocent moral center that that brings him back to reality. And she like got this like really bitter unhappiness about that because she was in love with him and she wanted to be thought of as like as potential romantic partner, like as the 12 year old little girl. And, you know, obviously she she's screwed because she's an L and that can't happen. And 
I, I think she's been pining after him and had that whole unrequited love thing for a long time. And not having gotten over your crush from when you were 12, that's, I don't know, that's that's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> she, if it's 12-year-old crush that she's still hung up on, that's, that's one thing. I, I wonder, because like when he says, oh, maybe, you know, the DM made you an L so that you could be, you know, 12 years old and be his moral, you know, be his Hermione. And she got a sour look. Maybe it's because he just said, you're a pawn, you know, you're a side character in his story and you were crafted for him. Like that would also put a sour expression on my face, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It's hard. It's hard to read where she's coming from. One one of these days we'll get in her head, something unambiguous. Um, I mean, I legit might be reading too much into this, but I've just been getting very much like if you had a crush on someone and got to be with them and, and do the pining and had crush on them for 40 years, like that's that's a long time to have those emotional grooves ground into you, right? Yeah, I yes and no. I think because her situation is weird, right? Like, yeah, she, she got to else. right, so she was with him from the ages of twelve to twelve, and like, you know, so I don't know where she's at with her ability to experience romantic love at that point in her life, anyway. Yet, right? But like, a crush mm-hmm. could happen, sure, but. I just assumed it was around being a guy. I, th- I assumed it was just from being around a guy who's larger than life and is constantly doing impossible things. I think it'd be on my mind all the time too. You know? Okay. I'm trying to, there's no earthly comparison I can think of like other than maybe Jesus. Right. Right. And it's like, if I, if I hung out with that guy for 10 years, you know, and I lived to be a thousand years old, I'd still be thinking about like, man, that was crazy. You know? Now, granted, Uther does shit that's, you know, blows Jesus out of the water, but that's the closest that we have on our story. Um, <laughs> Although the one thing he could never do was resurrect people. That's true. Jesus got that on him. Yeah. Yeah. If only they could have combined their powers. <laughs> that that if uh, if Earth and Air were simulations, I, I see a, uh, like... We're going to have an awesome crossover story at some point. That's right. I was going to say hybrid reality, but crossover stories. Yeah. That, that yeah. fits it better. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm curious where it's going. But uh, one way or another, she's either romantic, romantically hung, hung up on or just uh, otherwise emotionally hung up on uh, Uther, which I definitely think at least the latter is super understandable. Um, mm-hmm. if, it's the, if it's the former, you know, I hope she can find, you know, a way past that because she's a little young to, you know, be stuck, hung up on a dead crush forever. Um yeah. Yeah, she was twelve. Yeah, we'll see. And now she's seventeen, so you know, maybe, maybe let it go, move on. Oh, but she's, she's when, got a bang June, so she'll 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 move on at some point. <laughs> well, and when your dead crush was also Jesus and accepted you as part of his inner circle, I don't know. It could make things hard and complicated. But now she's got a cooler, younger, hotter Jesus. That's so, right. Yeah, that might have to be the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyways, going on. Uh, there was just this one cool little expression when Finch says, "Then you know a thousand hells more than I do," which I thought was sweet because we we've seen like how much knowledge is locked up in any given devil, and having all the devils across a hell multiplied by a thousand hells. That's that's It's a cool expression. And I mean, it's huge hyperbole, but that's that's how expressions go. Yeah. No, I agree. And this is taking place in the context of like. Finch shows up randomly. He's got the other half of like this communication entad that um, Bethel has, mm-hmm. which for a moment I was really hoping that he has secretly Uther, um, mm. but it doesn't seem like it. But uh, the 
he, so he's like, oh yeah, Harold, he's, you know, he's still out there. Get off your ass and go fight him. And, uh, June's like, well, okay, hold on. Like, let's actually sit and talk. So they actually do, they do that. They pause for six hours in the time chamber (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they can just do that whenever they want. Yeah. Well, not whenever they want, but they have the ability to do it at this point. Yeah. They can do that often and when convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so we find out that three world three world lords are active at once. Uh, the game ends in failure, and Felseed is one of them, so they've already got one. Uh, and then <laughs> I, I pulled this out. Creature says uh, Bethel says when um, when June tells Finch about the mumbats and mumrats that were living on Mumrath, uh, Bethel says the creatures that inhabited it. They're strangers in a strange land, one they might adapt to. And that struck me like a line straight out of a quest description. Did you feel the same thing? I don't know if I quite registered it. Um, like it, it seemed uncharacteristically poetic of Bethel. Mm. Um, you know, what is she thinking about these things for? You know, like they're oh. not, uh, I don't know why they're even on her radar. Like other than the fact that they're running around killing people, but she only barely cares about that. Well, she thinks about herself a lot. Maybe she's considering herself as a strange entity in air and she adapted to it yeah no that that makes sense but like i said that's just more poetic than she usually goes on um yeah i wonder it just uh, it seemed to me like something the dm would say and i was like oh, maybe bethel is the dm pc yeah no when you when when you pointed out that it sounds like quest description i'm like okay yeah that definitely seems plausible in fact i think i pointed that I, that was she was a candidate when we were tossing around the idea mm-hmm. because she can spy on everything so she never has to be like you know, she can never be called out for like, wait a minute. How do you know that? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, that said, you know, we've got the POV from her perspective, um, which noticeably we, we haven't had one from Solace's maybe because Solace is the DMPC, but, but she's been remarkably chill about, you know, not pushing June to do anything interesting. Right. Yeah, um, we haven't seen much of her lately. No. Like this and, entire time that they've been fighting Mumrath, she's just been, what has she been doing? She's been uh, chilling in the bottle, helping with healing people. Yeah, they recover. she's triage, I guess. You know. Okay. But like, yeah, she she doesn't strike me as like again. The wise old wizard is a perfect stand-in for the for the DM, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like the druid who occasionally says mystic things, like that also makes sense. And she's super old, but she like uncere- unceremoniously got blown in half, right? Yeah. Yeah. And while they did go back and fix her. There was a chance they might not have succeeded or might not have tried, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're the DM and like, you're making that happen. But if you're going to just make stuff happen, what's even the point of being there? You're supposed to, you're supposed to nudge. Yeah. So, I don't think it's her either. Did Maybe you, she was just being super poetic. It could be. Yeah. Uh, so he's getting like an info dump on what they know about Harold. And mm-hmm. apparently he didn't seem very smart. Like he used to run at the first sign of trouble, you know, now that he, he does stick around like a little longer to try harder. Oh, and he never takes a break. That was the thing yeah. that I put in my notes was like, if once he gets stopped, he just goes straight to the next attempt somewhere else. And I'm like, well, at mm. least he sucks at it. Like <laughs> he, he's been trying for at least decades. And mm. this is, this seems to be the farthest he's ever gotten. I'm sure glad that he, he's not great at his job because otherwise we'd all be dead. <laughs> yeah. But the relentless thing is always kind of scary. Like that's one of the things that made the Terminator so damn scary, right? Oh yeah. I mean, in, in addition to being a inhuman killing machine, just the fact that he never, ever, ever stops is just oh my god. But it, but if he was like 
kind of like a bumbling incompetent, then it would just be like, yeah, there's that Terminator again. All right, let's hop, right. Let's hop on the let's hop on a plane. We'll cross the country. We'll see him again in six months because it never occurs to him to fly. He's going to walk, you know? <laughs> yeah. That strikes me more, more like Harold, but apparently this blind squirrel found a nut and managed to summon uh, Momrath, so. Well, now he's got a smart person helping him. It sure right. seems that way. That's that's that what that's Finch's, yeah, that, that's Finch's guess, that it seems like he might uh, finally be taking the advice of someone smarter than him. Yeah. Which, if that's the case, there's, you know, we could speculate about who that might be. Hmm. Might have been that chick that he kills at the, end the, at the end of the last chapter here. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. We, we he still haven't killed him yet, so maybe he's, there's a secret final advisor. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it shakes out. Right. Okay. Chapter 158. Uh, yeah. I mean, this one ends with, um, like, so Raven and Palada, in addition to talking out their past, were fighting bats and shit and, uh, just doing, you know, the classic back to back, uh, slaying mooks kind of action hero thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, they get picked up by Bethel, but still no sign of Amaryllis. I gotta say, I do really like, like the, <laughs> I know we talked about before about the, the balance of dinosaurs and sodomy. And I really like most of the stuff that I comment on and that I find interesting is the talking about stuff and and processing things and, you know, the sodomy part. But like the fact that they're interrupted by the mumbats and have to like fight them and there's action, that that part is really important for me. If there wasn't enough dinosaur, I would not like a story. And I think that's one of the main reasons I hate Litvik. All right. So there's a there's some jargon there. And I know what you mean Hmm. by dinosaurs and sodomy, but Litvik. That sounds like literature fiction. Yeah, yeah, li- yeah. So yeah. that to, to to the uninitiated, that sounds like book book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, literary fiction is the highbrow things that people who read the New Yorker would read. They cannot oh. be soiled with things that have orcs or lasers in them. That's silly. Yeah, and it's always pretentious. Not always. It's often pretentious, boring stuff. But then again, ninety percent of everything is crap. So the good stuff is probably pretty darn good. Okay, yeah, and I I agree with the, the the dinosaurs and sodomy bit. Although it's actually not clear to me which one of those is the like the conversation, like deep stuff, and which one of those is fighting monsters. Uh, dinosaurs is the fighting monsters because dinosaurs are monsters that you got to fight. Uh, sodomy is the deep conversation stuff because gay people have emotions and straight people don't. Okay, <laughs> that's that's the shorthand way to remember it. No, that checks out. Yeah. I just figured they were both like fun, exciting things. I wasn't sure, you know, which one was mm. fighting monsters. Got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. All right. So I, I did think of uh, like, I mean, the, the chapter name for 158 isn't exactly subtle, mm-hmm. but I mean, the subtitle. So chapter 158, OP, subtitle, cruising for an exclusion. Yeah, right. He's, he's getting worried here. Uh, it starts out with a flashback to Kansas and uh someone's telling tiff who apparently is new to the the game at this point that when june gives out loot you get a bunch of neat stuff and then you get like an encounter where you get a stomp face and then the enemies start adapting or you start running into weird circumstances where your neat stuff doesn't work or whatever and you're back to baseline and just my comment on that was like i mean yeah that that's that's how it works because otherwise you would just be overpowered and blow through everything and the game stops being fun you like you get cool things that kick ass and you kick a huge amount of ass to get to flex and have some fun. And then after that, they become more like puzzle solving tools that can occasionally be useful, but don't make the game breaking because otherwise the game's broken. 
This is the meta commentary about exclusions, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's not so much like it's it's not even so thinly veiled. Like they give examples of times that June gave them things and then nerfed it. Mm-hmm. And it's like because he's going to give him a spear that whatever, like lets him teleport to the spear. I think. Mm-hmm. And it's like Raymer's like, well, that's 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 too overpowered. You're gonna you're gonna take that away at some point. And it's like, oh yeah, sure. You're gonna just like make him lose it, or it's gonna break, or some bullshit, right? Yeah. And well, that sure sounds like he's gonna exclude it if it, you know, uh, the. There was the the coin of fates, um, which when you flipped <laughs> it, there was like what a sixty two point five percent accuracy that it would give you like the right answer. Yeah, and she so for Tiff is like you know again kind of trying to just like train her Munchkin muscle. She's like, wait, so you used it on everything, or just flip it a bunch of times and you know you know asked it over and over and. Raymer says, well, June wouldn't let us use it on repeat, but I'm 62.5% confident that he didn't think of that beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> Great line. Great line. But yeah, so June just straight up talks about how, uh, oh yeah, no, sometimes uh, you'd have to exclude stuff. He doesn't use that word. Um, mm-hmm. But then even Arthur kind of ta- like just chimes in that like it's uh, it's better to do it like in story if possible. Yeah. Um, which I like because... That's that seems to be kind of how exclusions work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and Tiff eventually asks them, like, "Look, if if you if by abusing things you get it taken away from you, why bother?" She says, "Why Munchkin?" And Remy goes, "Because that's the fun." And I think this is a true fact. Munchkinning is indeed a lot of fun. It can be less fun for the DM or for the rest of the party, maybe. But uh, when you're actually trying to do it and break the system, it's it's like hacking. It's you feel like you're getting away with something and doing cool stuff that no one else can do. And it's just fulfilling that way, at least for a while. Yeah. You know, if, uh, Munchkins don't have time to stop and ask why, you <laughs> know, it, they, they're too busy abusing the shit out of all the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, why Munchkin? Well, why breathe? Why, you know, science isn't <laughs> right. about why science, science is about why not? Yeah. Why is so much of our science dangerous? <laughs> uh, do you remember cave Johnson from portal Two? Oh, yes. I did not remember that line. I actually have all of his dialogue on like a long MP3 on my phone that I haven't listened to in a few years, but I probably remember most of it. Jesus, it's got to be like 30 minutes. I think it's like 14. Oh, okay. So maybe it's, it's not every line of dialogue, but it, it, it it's just, it's so funny. That game was so perfectly written. Yeah. Anyway. A great voice actor. Yeah. Oh, it was uh, um, J.K. Simmons. Uh, I don't know that guy's name, but I know it's the guy who played J. Jonah Jameson. That's the one yeah yeah okay so um the june is mentioning that tabletop role-playing games worked like real life at least the way that he had played them and he says and if you ran toward danger because you thought that you were the invincible protagonist who couldn't get hurt you'd probably get smacked down hard because that was stupid and i just wanted to make a note of that right there because i i want to like keep track of if and when june violates that rule because i kind of think he did when he assumed that a party of five people plus one jet fighter could take down mumrath i mean i guess if you're playing a tabletop role-playing game you it's fair to assume that the dm has some way for you to kill this dragon or this kaiju or whatever it is or you wouldn't have been given this quest but but it seems like sometimes he runs in because that's what heroes do when a normal person maybe wouldn't do that as much yeah I mean, it's tough because he's not a normal person, right? Like, a lot of his yeah. decisions that he makes at the time just seem to make sense. 
Um, and we were just talking last episode about how we were telling him you shouldn't worry about being killed, you know, Goodfellowed style. Right. Yeah. But it's funny. So he he's worried. He's got like the two things that he's worried about here. And that's that that was my my same thing that I thought of when at the beginning of this chapter, he's worried about like, okay, this is kind of freaking me out. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're worried because A, this this is cruising for an exclusion. And B, if if you're if you're not straight up excluded, then they're gonna throw something at you that mm-hmm. even being, you know, princely and vulnerable won't be enough to stop, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, well shit, either things are gonna get really serious or this is going to just get turned off at some point. Yeah. Yeah. In that vein, he, he starts thinking about like, what could, what could he be up against if he has uh princess and vulnerability? And he, you know, he says possibly just some awesome world shattering thing, uh, like maybe an apocalypse demon, but he also considers, you know, maybe there's not going to be a physical confrontation because all the best Superman stories weren't about whether or not Superman could punch a problem hard enough. They were about difficult choices and intellectual or philosophical issues. And I just wanted to take a moment right here to point out that Alexander Wales has written an amazing Superman story, which is not about if Superman can punch something hard enough, but is indeed about really difficult intellectual and philosophical issues. And it's, in my opinion, the best super, it's the best Superman story I've ever read by quite a um, long shot. So it's called Metropolitan Man. I did an audio version of it. Uh, you guys did, uh, you and Brian did a uh, deep dive, kind of like we're doing with uh, with the candle on this very RSS feed. And it's great. And I'm going to drop a link to those things. Nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I guess I'll also just point out he wrote a, a short story called, I think, The Most Good. Yes. Uh, but it wasn't so much of like, it was more of like a felt more like a prompt kind of like that uh which i did read that last week you mentioned the vanishing city or whatever mm-hmm. um it, it felt more like that than like a like a proper full-fledged story mm-hmm. uh, but it was a lot of fun too but it, like like i said it wasn't about a, a story so much as it was like here's an awesome idea um yeah. this i was i i pulled this out too because i keep my eyes open for it like later on when uh grack keeps jumping into the line of fire because he wants to be helpful and involved right mm-hmm. that that's where june is being put in that that superman shoe mm-hmm. where it's like okay we do need his help and he wants to be helpful but man he's gonna get shot and oh look he just got shot in the face oh but he wants to keep helping okay great well <laughs> yeah it, it makes it it's a tight spot um i i did forget to pull out one thing sorry during that flashback yeah where, go uh oh what was the context of it um because arthur says uh oh yeah, it was right after the uh, so why Munchkin, and Rimmer says because it's that's the fun of it, you know, mm-hmm. punching above your weight class, challenging the gods, and Arthur says literally in some cases, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, hold up a minute, if you know, we were talking last week about oh well, you know, seeing the gods, they're dangerous or whatever, and it's like, well, now he's invulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, now once once this thing is settled, I say he drinks some coffee so he can stay awake and just marches to the nearest god and goes start bothering him until he can get some you know, quest advancement. Pull some major Kratos moves. Yeah. I mean, well, it, what's this guy going to do? I mean, presumably, we don't know what the gods can do. Um, presumably, does- they, I think they get involved in something during the Amaryllis or during the Cyprus timeline, but like, they don't like wave their hand and solve all the problems, right? It does say that he could be uh, suffocated though, or drowned. So maybe they could drown him. 
Right. So the we'll princes... skip the we'll skip the one of sea and ice and we'll do the uh <laughs> like the fire god or something. Yeah. I guess he could still be asphyxiated, but whatever. The god's not gonna know that. That yeah. he's gotta burn up all the air around him. Yeah, come on. Yeah, jeez. Gods right. don't know about oxygen. We'll we'll see how that shakes out. I yeah. I am super eager to meet our gods though. Mm-hmm. It's um, gonna be good times. Yeah, so the oh yeah, the Superman thing. Um Oh, and the other option thinking that uh people that he loves could be put in harm's way like you said with grack and that's when he says oh shit i haven't heard back from amaryllis since mumrath exploded and i was like oh shit he hasn't heard back from amaryllis since mumrath exploded yeah i'm i'm not the least bit worried about her like again because it wouldn't be like satisfying if she's you know been blown up or something um well we know she's not because he checks yeah and she's she's not even spirit raped by harold so Mm -hmm. we're in good shape but she's, I mean, she's been kidnapped a number of times already, as June points out. And Raven is like, yeah, I got kidnapped once a year, more <laughs> or less. And Jesus. <laughs> like three dozen times. It's just like, oh, yeah, what is, oh, yeah, it's September again. We got to go, ke- we got to go find uh, Raven's kidnapper. Man, mm-hmm. that, that snuck up on us this time, didn't it? <laughs> um, Did someone set a reminder? Yeah, I and she hasn't been kidnapped in a while, but now she's so much stronger, you know? Um, I still do think that, and maybe they'll come around to doing this later, or maybe this is just the kind of thing that, you know, our, our munchkin rat-thick pr- protagonists can't think of literally everything, but I do feel like, you know, breaking the last digit on your left pinky finger is like a great distress signal. And then that way, when June remotely checks in on your soul, you can be like, oh, she's in danger, Right. Yeah, but how often does June check in on your soul? Well, whenever she's missing for an indeterminate amount of time, and I wonder if she's okay, you know? Oh, that's a good point. If she has access to some way to break her pinky finger, though, like if she's in handcuffs or something, she might not. I mean, if your fingers, if you're in handcuffs, you're touching your other hand with your hand, she could snap it. I couldn't could do that because I'm weak willed, but she, she, <laughs> I think she could rip her, I think she could bite her hand off, like just, you know, through sheer determination and willpower. I don't think humans have the bite strength to bite a hand off like i guess maybe you could rip your flesh slowly over time okay i feel like i feel like she could bite off each of her fingers like one at a time so i have had someone try to bite through my finger before and i just don't think that humans have the bite strength to do that like if you were wrenching back and forth and more like trying to you know rip it tear it you could possibly but it would take a lot of work you humans don't have the bite strength to just go through a bone okay so First off, that's gross, and I hope they weren't trying as hard as they could. It was a flirty thing, and I think she was, yes. Well, if it was flirty and you weren't bleeding afterwards, she was not biting as hard as she could. I mean, um, I got nerve damage afterwards. I mean, that's from a pinch, but I I mean, all right, well, you know. No, I, no. I would love to ask her if it was as hard as she could, but we have since been divorced and don't talk, so. Kink shaming aside. <laughs> I will, uh, <laughs> Wasn't the uh, kink thing. No, no, sure, sure. All right. Well, you know, I'm not, I don't want to judge. I'm, I'm just teasing now. Um, right, right. that that aside there there's some soul something she could do to herself uh and i just feel like you know tripping up her body would be an obvious way to do it um because yeah. i don't know where she is but i think she's fine um uh, maybe having her own adventure but if she is captured i mean fuck it they could make a code of it right if it's if it's my left pinky uh it's because i'm captured if it's my left ring finger it's because i'm stuck under something right like well like i i, I, I how how are you going to break your left ring finger, even assuming that you could, if you're stuck under something? 
I, you know, I just thought of this, man. I give me six, give me six months in the time okay. chamber, and I will come up with five plans for every finger under every circumstance. Fair enough. I am sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You, you I retract a, you, my objection. You make a compelling counterpoint of like, you know, that's super impractical, Stephen. But yeah. you know, they they live in they live in impractical life. You know, and if it's not that, maybe she could modify her soul. Like she could put Mountain Crush at like number ten of her favorite of like on her values, right? Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a great signal. And honestly, it should be possible to break some bones in most circumstances. Rarely are going you I don't know how often you would actually be tied to a chair or something where you can't break a bone. And and actually I like my idea of adjusting her values more. I think I came up with the bone breaking thing before she had soul magic. Okay. And she could adjust stuff herself. So now that she can do that, yeah, just make Mountain Crush, you know, in your top twenty, where like it's currently sitting somewhere between like, you know, 2100 and 2200 yeah um if he checks her out and it's like oh shit mountain crush is number 20 like that's that's the signal she's in danger right yeah yeah, yeah. that'd be a good one yeah was it yeah. called mountain crush or mountain rush or whatever uh knock off mountain uh, yeah yeah I, I knew what you were talking about i don't remember the exact name All right. well speaking about spending six months in the time chamber uh they go into the time chamber <laughs> so they can have a a planning session and uh Finch like is looking around at them being in the time chamber, doing stuff, dilating time. And he's like, is this how you people live? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? You people <laughs> some judgy bullshit right there, Finch. But also, yeah, that's, that's gotta be kind of weird seeing people living in those circumstances. Just, just pulling out like insane rabbits out of their hat and be like, wait, this is just your, like, you guys do this all the time. Don't you? Mm hmm. Um, you're completely divorced from the timeline the rest of us live in. Did you see? I'm sure you saw Tropic Thunder, right? Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. where I get the what do you mean, you people thing. What do you, what do you mean? What do you mean, you people? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if oh, anyone doesn't know what we're movie. talking about, watch that movie. No context. It's, it's a really good movie. It's it's great comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're, they're in the little time chamber thing, and uh, June wants to practice still magic combat and mm -hmm. uh palada stole the um the the dummy thing that oberlin had mm -hmm. and, and like well you know um oh and then she's and he's like well he, oh that's great you know even if he did steal it we'd have had to bring it in here and she's like you're not the only one who can teletalk with bethel and she goes over to a cabinet and just like ta-da mm -hmm. <laughs> like, okay that was awesome and very fun yeah. right it's you know it was but yeah you, push out the fence stuff and ignore the fact that she's trying to, you know, fill the shoes of someone that she can't fill. But that was funny. Um, it, it, if, if it wasn't for Fen, then yes, that would be very funny because <laughs> of Fen. I'm like, fuck you. Get out of here. No, I'm not. I still kind of like Palada. I just, just this niggling resentment that hangs around with me whenever she reminds me of Fen. Yeah. No, you, you, you I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, it's not her fault. We do get basically. It's, it's, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, it's like um, uh, a lady that I worked with at my job two jobs ago. Um, uh, she joined after I'd been for there for like a couple of years. And I was like, oh, my God, she looks very much like my first wife. And I really don't like her. Hmm. And then, like, I got to meet her and talk with her. And I was like, oh, OK, she's a nice person. I, I shouldn't be have anything against her just because she happens to look like someone that I have had bad history with. But, like, I, I feel like that same kind of thing where, like, you're. It's not your fault that you happen to look like this person or have similar humor to this person, but it's setting off things. And eh, what can you do about that? No, I mean, there's there's things like that. Uh, I don't remember how it came up. I swear it was somewhat organic. Like it was 
something on a TV show. I don't know, whatever it was. Like in the last few months, I, I remember joking with, with, with my wife as like, you know, and I, I just love saying my wife makes you feel like a grown up. Um, mm. But, uh, and well, I guess people know her name is Rachel. It's just, I like to give her some facade of anonymity. But right. I told her, I was like, you know, if you had my sister's name, I don't think that like, this could ever work out, right? Like she doesn't have any siblings. So like, that's not a concern. But like if, yeah. I, if I had her dad's name, like, oh, I see, you know, like it's not, it's not our, it's not either of our faults. It's nothing about the person. It's just like, I can't romantically say, you know, it, like it. So it's, it's like the, the thing with, you know, that person looking like your ex, except just like even more neutral. Yeah. But it's just like, yeah, this, I, I just can't. Sorry. Nothing personal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. All right. So I, I wanted to pull out the, uh, so we get textual confirmation because remember I was worried that these, uh, that the dummies were basically sentient until the moment mm-hmm. that they were murdered. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently it has brain activity. It's lifelike in every way up until the moment it's killed. And yeah, but it's it, just standing there. Like maybe it has the brain activity of, of someone who isn't thinking. I don't know. I mean, it blinks and, you know, Finch says it might even fool your house. So we'll People ask Bethel. brain dead blink. Yeah, I guess we would ask Bethel. But, uh, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, I, I could tell it was a, you know, an entad. But at first I thought that there was another person here. Um I, I, I'm just assuming that it's, it's this, you know, it's a zombie that doesn't want to die. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they finally explained the Z word, I guess, uh, at this point, but yeah, zombies, they, they were basically what you think of as zombies and, uh, Wait, real quick, I'm before, cause I want you to give us the long version, but can I give you my like play by play? that led up to that absolutely yeah do it so uh oh wait i guess first off there's like this parenthetical about like june was trying to think of like what would this entad have ever been for right mm-hmm. and i just put flesh.txt bro um <laughs> uh, the, like, is it any fun having sex with something that's basically brain dead i mean it's not my thing but well okay i guess there's some freaky people out there i'm sure i'm sure mr captain blue in the bottle rented out some zombie you know prostitutes um because of course he did he's a monster probably true yeah anyway so june thinks oberlin had been had been cavalier about killing them but well the story of captain blue in the bottle was one that tended to stick with people myself included mm-hmm. and that was the end of a paragraph and I was like, oh, come on. You're going to just casually mention that you know the story and not tell us? <laughs> yeah. And then he starts off explaining the next thing. I was like, oh, sorry, I went off the handle. And I did like a little table setback emoji. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Did you have right. the table flip emoji on the first one? I didn't. I was going to go back and okay. add it, but then I, I don't want to like, I, I try to never like adjust yeah. my comments after the fact. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. And just having the table setback emoji there is perfect too. Yeah. We, we, we get it. Yeah. All right. So what's the deal? What's the Z so word? Zomb- I mean, zombies are zombies, as you think of them, mindless shuffling things that are commanded by a, a lich or some kind of zombie leader. Uh, but since this is a rat fic, they, zombies aren't really very good in military applications. Mindless shuffling things are easy to mow down, but they make perfect menial labor. Uh, and so um, that's what Captain Blue in the Bottle uses them for. Uh, they are the pinnacle of mindless labor, it says. And they were, per the captain, ethically sourced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which i loved because it, it's exactly like the real world where people just slap ethically sourced label on whatever they want to sell and people are like oh oh thank god it's ethically sourced and it doesn't necessarily mean shit uh just like 
um, Captain Blue in the bottle. He says, oh, yeah, no, these were just people that were dying of natural causes anyway, and, and nothing's hurting them. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it turns out he, he's, he's full of shit. They, the zombies weren't fully <laughs> dead. There was a person trapped inside that body, fully able to feel everything that was happening and not being able to take any action of their own. Just being, like, trapped in there, silently screaming. I, I don't even know. Like, it, it, it feels like it would be worse than being stuck in, any, uh, in, in solitary confinement for a lifetime. Oh, totally. I mean, it, it's like a less efficient and, like, more horrible age of M. Yeah, uh, yeah. The you know oh, they're all ethically the sourced, end. you know yeah. it's like oh sure yeah like you know oh they're death row inmates well this one was a jaywalker well this one looked at me funny you know like <laughs> right I, I'm sure he had no incentives to just you know start grabbing people wherever he could yeah it was it, it was pretty awful but I I really like the fact that we have we had the void beast as a direct corollary to climate change and Captain Blue in the bottle correct me if I'm wrong but I got the impression that he's just like a straight up corollary for capitalism. That's, that was my, my catch or that, that was, that's what I picked up as well. I mean, uh, okay. so when, when the truth comes out that like, Oh, this is slave labor, like, you know, monster slave labor. Um, mm-hmm. he's like, whatever you dipshits will buy my stuff anyway. Cause it's cheap. And they yeah. don't, they, they pass a bunch of decrees saying, no, fuck you. We're not going to. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, what's interesting too, is that like, he's already excluded at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they would just, like, presumably, like, you know, put in request orders, like, they'd walk into his territory and be like, hey, we'd like some stuff. And then it's just weird to imagine, you know, like, I guess, in my mind, exclusion zones are, like, the Felsian exclusion zone, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's got basically a wall around it because if you walk in, you're dead. Um, no, this is just like, yeah, this I get, I, I'm allowed this uh, city block or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like, the, um, the illusion magic exclusion zone, it yeah. was just, like, a place. And since no one knew where it was, you could walk through it without knowing. Isn't that weird? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this one was just like, this is the only place where zombie magic works. And so it's kind of his domain because he could make a zombies eat you, I guess. But he, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to take your raw materials and turn them into goods and return the goods to you for a profit. Yeah. And like it all had like this cutesy little, you know, marketing around it, like, you know, zombie made stamps and mm-hmm. like, oh, they're happy little dimwits, you know. And um, <laughs> Have you played uh, Plants vs. Zombies? Yeah. That was uh, that's what I was imagining for his zombie mascot. Oh yeah, that makes sense, right? Um, mm. The uh, anyway, it ends with June saying because you mentioned the capitalism thing, and here is my quote: June says the upshot was that zombie became a dirty word, especially after Captain Blue in the Bottle published a long screed about. Oh yeah, um, that's where I said that people would buy their stuff anyway, and I just mm. put and suddenly my iPhone feels heavier with the weight of the horrible working conditions that went into making it. No. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, and you know, I, I remember looking into this a few years ago, like there was like an ethically sourced phone or something mm-hmm. and it was like four times the cost and like half as good as other phones. Okay. And it's like, well, that sucks. Like, you know, I'm not well, going to do that. So uh, I mean, I can we... offset the bad I do with the money I save not spending $3,000 on a phone. Right. Yes. But also, uh, we crap. Did we have David on to discuss this specifically? I don't think we did. Um, but a lot of economists and David Spearman, who we've had on the Basin Conspiracy once or twice, and who I co-host the Mind Killer with, um, uh, would point out at this point that uh, the people who are working in those factories have chosen to work in those factories because doing so gives them better lives than scraping out an existence as a mud farmer in their in their home country. And uh, and so while it's less than what we would work for, it provides them a better life and lets them, you know 
give even better lives to their children. Like it's not slave labor. It's something they're doing because it's better than the other options they have. I think we're well past the days where we chain people to their desks, but not that far yes. past. Um, but, and it's interesting because like I went through that, you know, that mental model of like, you know, third world uh, sweat, sweat, what do they call them? Sweatshops. Sweatshops. I was going to say sweat factory. That doesn't, that doesn't roll off the tongue. Um, yeah. So like, nope. yeah, in, in my, in my youth, I remember thinking like sweatshops were like, oh no, horrible working conditions, chained to the desk. That's, that's awful. This is, this needs to stop. And I mean, then it, it might've been like, fault. The, the media pushed that hard. I remember that being a major thing that we were even taught in school, I think. Oh, nice. Okay. So I can forgive my younger self, but then I remember oh, yeah. like Penn and Teller's bullshit and then just, you know, basic, uh, I don't know, world exposure caught up to me of like, oh yeah, no, they, they get to choose to work there and it just pays more than the, the other shops. So like they, they do that of their own free will. But then that sort of does sound convenient, doesn't it? You know, of course they're all ethically sourced, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, and the only reason I'm pushing back a little bit is because I also know that at some point they had those like, you know, suicide jump nets on the side of the building. So people couldn't, you know, die if they jumped off mm -hmm. and you don't need those that people like working there. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, but if they don't like working there, they can go in the elevator and go down to the ground floor and walk out and then not come back. But they want to make a statement killing themselves on prem, you know? I mean, sure, I guess if you want to make a statement, but if you're doing that, you can just do what the monks did and set yourself on fire. That's true. That's, you know, pretty badass way to go, too. Right? These guys were just pussies. They weren't hardcore enough to, to <laughs> <laughs> go full immolation. I, you know, it, it sounds fun on paper, but I'm sure right into it, I'd be like, oh, this was a mistake. I see that now. <laughs> I regret my life choices. <laughs> I regret my last life choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we should not be laughing about this. We're we're both ethical and, and conscientious people. We're making light of something that's terrible just because. So Yeah. All right. Um real quick, uh Raven, we finally, you know, because Finch is all like unimpressed when, you know, he's like, Yeah, that, you know, good job, whatever that thing you you're so proud of having killed. And it's mm -hmm. like, I, I am a little proud. Yeah, look at how big it was. Um, mm -hmm. We finally get to see him, you know, blink in surprise uh, when he reads, when he meets Raven Masters. Oh, yeah. He's just like, bullshit. And she says, no, we've crossed paths before. No, I think the last time was, uh, um, you know, whatever year. And there was some portal to somewhere that was going nuts. And um, for some reason, Uniquities decided that they would handle it. and. He's Finch is like, yeah, it winked out after two weeks. And she's like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and then even, even June, yeah, even June says it was satisfying to see him, see him thrown off his feet. And I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. man, high five. Mm -hmm. So hell yeah. Good, good for, good for Raven. Cause she doesn't get to, she, she doesn't really flex, but she is the, like the most badass member of their group, June included. Yeah, and like, the fact that there was like a whole secret group that the Iniquities doesn't know anything about. It's like the deeper men are in blacker. Right. Did that, did that make any sense? Yeah. Okay. The the, the men in darker black. And there we go. That was yeah. a better way to put it because English not so good with me. <laughs> I, I don't talk good most days either. Yeah. But, um, uh, Uniquities is apparently aware that like June is the next Uther. And so they're you know, like the, the friends that poisoned Fen, they also have plans for this, but they don't involve murdering June, which is nice. Probably means that they all get to live a little longer too. Yeah, totally. Oh, I was just gonna say about, you know, Raven being casually badass, like, 
you know, this is June's first kaiju. It was super awesome. Like Raven fought 20 of those before she turned 13, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that even though June could probably kick her ass, like she is still, uh, the most badass just, just by, well, I guess Pallet is older, but I don't know. You have to, if you're counting feats, right? Yeah. She, she's hardcore and she brings a lot of knowledge to the team. Yeah, totally. Do you, um, I, I feel like what he got here, especially with like it happening to land during Princess and Vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And by DM Fiat, the DM could just be like, no, no, I meant game effects, not spells. You know, like it, I see where you're coming from and that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But the DM could have just said like, no, no, I'm not counting that. That's not the same. Right. But he let him keep I, Princess and Vulnerability. I mean, I, I don't see how he could have let him keep Princess and Vulnerability, but not let him keep like, um, the overcapped or whatever. Yeah, I think because that's a that's a well, I guess now I don't know what happens if a soul mage does that. Like if if Folliter, whatever, scraped out the soul of one of the inmates that he shared a cell with and mm-hmm. put it all into um, archery, does his archery skill go down like June's or is he just allowed to do that? I guess it would have to go down, wouldn't it? I would assume so, because that's a game effect and they're all in a game. Yeah, I guess I was just thinking like game layer stuff, you know, like some stuff is just June, like the level ups, for example. You yeah. Know? So I figured that those might be, Oh, I guess he could, uh, wirehead himself if he wanted to with this up. Right. So he, he, turns oh, cause he his, can steal his soul. Yeah. So he turns his like orgasm, orgasmatron back on for, uh, leveling up and yeah. then levels up and then stills himself. Right. Yeah. But why would you want to do that? Well, I have no idea, but some people think it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But, uh, um, I, I don't know. I guess I can see how I would say, okay, yeah, no, spells are different. Um, you know, game stuff, that's fine. I guess what I was just thinking is that he was already towing the line for exclusion. And now he's thinking, okay, I can munchkin this even further and turn everything up to 100. Um, mm. Like, I'm just thinking there's no way the dam will take that shit sitting down. You know, if Raymer found a way to do that, would June accept it? Absolutely not. But that, That's he, what he needs to ask himself, you know? Yeah, but he hasn't put all his skills up to 100. So no, he's just thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, like, he's thinking about it. But like Raymer could think about things, and as long as he didn't do them, he wouldn't. Oh yeah, get... no, no. I I'm a strong believer. No punishment for thought crime, right? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. But the uh, if he were to go actually do this, I feel like either he'd be pulled into the DM's void and be like, "Okay, look, dude, knock it off," or mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, lightning would destroy Bethel and hmm. be like, "Okay, look, you can't soul." scafe anymore or whatever thing he was using to boost his skills right mm-hmm. anyway i i just had to throw that out there that if he does that he's he's i think he's going to get slapped down hard i would agree 100 percent. i think june's not dumb enough to try that but i don't know maybe maybe he'll be in a situation where he's like oh shit i need 100s and all my skills to survive this battle and then then shit goes down i mean yeah shit could be shit could hit the wind and you know if the stakes get high enough and he's like, well, fuck it. It's worth the risk. Mm-hmm. Could be possible. We will have to see. We will have to see. Um, the only other thing I wanted to pull out here was that, oh, no, you did the same thing. I'll let you do it. You did it more eloquently. <clears throat> oh, sure. Okay. Well, uh, he's going around talking to people and Valencia, uh, when he's talking to her, says, you know, I-, I went down onto the monster's back. I was there to help you and I didn't accomplish anything. Like I was just there and you did everything. He goes, okay, I, I get it, but you know, you're not the only one. And Valencia's like, yeah, I know. 
when you rescued Amaryllis, or when you rescue Amaryllis, I'll talk to her about it because she's going to feel the same way. And uh, he says, I-, I was thinking about Grack. Uh, but yeah, Amaryllis too. And uh, then Val also points out, and Fen, when she was alive. I'm just like, oh my god, the entire party is being outleveled by June and left behind. And it sucks for them. And I think, you know, they need some power up soon or something because otherwise, A, what's the point of them? And B, they're going to get really depressed about just kind of hanging around and being his arm candy and not contributing. I mean, they're, they're, the point of them is they're still stronger than everyone else on Arab, right? So, like, they can still beat up everybody while June beats up the kaijus. Mm-hmm. So, like, they, they still contribute. But, yeah, it's weird. It's like being, you know, Batman next to Superman. Yeah. And it's like, okay, thanks for letting me help. Like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, so it's hard I, not I to mean, feel small. It almost feels like the DM intentionally introduces smaller challenges for you, like mumbats that no one cares about, so that you have something to do while Superman is off doing the real stuff. Yeah, no, totally. And uh, I, like I said, I was glad you pulled that out because Grack expressed the same thing because his ward spell didn't work fast enough, or his ward weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what's funny is like Palada and Raven, who this is, you know not their first rodeo they're out there fighting mooks and they're like yeah just isn't that always the way you know mm-hmm. he, he's up there killing the thing we were down here cleaning up the fucking mess but like mm-hmm. they just know that's the job right so yeah i don't you know june i don't think will be content to leave his friends behind but i don't know how you keep them keep them up with you so uh and then of course the fen grief sneak attack so yeah um we'll uh we'll keep our eyes peeled for how he's going to resolve that i guess yeah and I remember last or when I listened to the episode, I said the dome away from home might have been someone else's head. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't really that. I don't know what, you know, other than the fact that, like, they were in a building. But that had that's, a dome on top of it. Yeah. that. But the chapter title is usually more creative than that. I feel like I'm missing yeah, something. I mean, maybe maybe we're dumb and missing something. Maybe it's just that they can't all be, you know. They can't all be winners, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it rhymes, so it's got that. High five. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Oh, you pulled out the exact same. Oh, we talked about the fence replacement stuff, though. Um, yeah. But uh, we can pull out the quote. What did you think of it, though? Sure. Uh, Finch tells her no stealing. <laughs> and she says, I think technically it would be looting, given the circumstances. So Finch says no looting. She says, but maybe just a little bit of looting and nods <laughs> towards him. <laughs> and then she goes, this is fun. We should have uh, the police over more often. And yeah, that was that was very much a fan thing. And that is where I inserted my note that we talked about earlier, where I don't like that she's she's the new fan so much. And that that's actually where I put in my that Paladin has fan vibes and I like it, but I just put it mm-hmm. up higher on the, the page notes here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that was that could have been verbatim out of Fen's mouth. Um, Absolutely. It is weird. It wasn't really until he pointed out that like. It strikes me, you know, because I was like, okay, good. I'm glad we have some more levity and stuff in the group again because Fen filled that role. But I'm like, well, I don't want someone replacing that role, right? Yeah. And so on the one hand, I'm glad that she's there doing it, doing the thing. But I I don't want, like, you know, maybe June will sit down and have a talk with her about, like, look, you're not filling her shoes. You're filling your own shoes. And they just happen to, you know, also be Fen style, you know? We'll yeah. see how it shakes out. We meet Finch's strike team for anti-memetics. And these guys, they were trained to fight memes, and their motto is, ignorance is strength, which I thought was just a fucking brilliant <laughs> line, and I would have never thought of that. So, mad props to Alexander for putting that in there. Let's see. Their name was, like, the meme team or something? 
Yeah, that's that's. It, it was something so cringy that June hated it. I want to find it. Oh, they were the meme squad. I just yeah. put, that's amazing. They have the power of God and anime on their side. <laughs> that poor kid. I hope that he's just owned that video and is just, you know, I mean, the kid's got to be in his 30s now, right? What what kid are we talking about? Have you not seen the video? It's like this like five second clip of some kid like on a schoolyard being taped on a phone. And he's like, I've got the power of God and anime on my side. And then he's like, like goes like screeches. And that's the end of the video. But he's like, I he's have- like yelling at a bully or something. Oh, I have it not might, seen It might that. be staged, but okay. Well, that's going to be my contribution to the show notes this week. Sweet. Um, <laughs> I have learned a pop culture thing. <laughs> um, this is all happening in the context of uh, they've broken in to some structure in the city. With uh, a that, dome on top of it. Yeah, with a dome that they pinpointed due to unusual NTAD activity or something. Um, yeah, doors fucking finched, didn't they? Oh, that's right. And then Grack did the rest of the heavy mm-hmm. lifting with all of his like ultra master level ward stuff. Like the Iniquities folks have four of those um like humanoid water people, you know? No, these were like people with no sensory organs, but they got one arm. This wasn't the thing that was like strangling Amaryllis back when they were fighting the those assholes that were poisoning them. No, I think this is a different uh species. Another thing that can't talk that does sign language by swinging out around a, a tendril? Yes. I mean, why not? Okay, yeah, that, all right, that's fair. Okay, I thought it was one of those water people. In, in any case, uh, they're all warders, too, and they're just blown out of the water by how uh, awesome Grack is at this. Yeah. They, they keep saying, like, he's a master. Like, oh, my God, he's like an ultra master at this. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, my God, he's a grandmaster extreme. Yeah. And... Uh, that was pretty cool. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Um, and then June's just walking through this building, getting shot, getting hit with swords, and just mm-hmm. touching people and knocking them unconscious. Like, he's right. got God mode on. Yeah. And, oh, but but more importantly, he was thinking about, like, okay, what could stop me? And he's thinking, like, yeah, I could be drowned. Oh, a net. A net could stop me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I really hope he gets caught in a net because <laughs> it just seems so undignified. Yeah. You're, you're basically God, but a net is your kryptonite. Right. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I, I think I mentioned, yeah, where Grack is, like, doing some ward stuff and like June hears like a grunt and then he looks back yeah. after crack is done and he's been shot through the eye with a void pistol. Not through the eye, just above the eye. Oh, right. Like Either way. It went, yeah. yeah. It, it went it, like, um, Paladin says he lost brain Juniper. Not so great for a person healing. That is always a crapshoot. And this came on the, I think just two weeks ago, I was reading about, um, the the fad for lobotomies that hit in the like early mid 1900s and that was like that was terrible stuff i i legit felt my guts churning during that and i was just like oh my god i really hope grack is okay because because getting lobotomized right now i mean we we might not have a grack anymore at least not the way we knew him it's weird because june took a similar wound and he healed it through mundane means he didn't even use a level up to heal it right i don't think it got into his brain or maybe only just barely into his brain because he stopped the majority of it with his hand and mm-hmm. then the rest went through like some skull and it sounded like some got into his brain but i don't think like he lost a large chunk whereas it sounds like well, i mean not sounds like we we see that uh that grack lost some actual brain here i suppose i seem to remember amaryl is explaining like how much matter void goes through and that a void shot went through like four inches of skin or of, of flesh or person right mm-hmm and your hand is charitably like an inch and a half. 
Yeah, it's it maybe two, inch and a half to two. And so, you know, he stopped half of it, but it still definitely went into his... But you're right, that's another two inches that Grack caught straight to the, straight to the brains, so... Um, yeah. Straight to the dome, as they say. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe that's something to tie in there, but... Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, at the very least, they've got that, that Horcrux back up, you know, he'll be fine. This, but he, this better not be some like big deal. Um, just because it hardly seems fair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes shit isn't fair. Like that fucking Buffy episode where, ah, is it, is it spoilers for a show that was on 20 years ago? Uh, you're past the statute of limitations. So I want to hear it. Oh, where, um, where Willow's girlfriend, Tara just gets shot and dies that's a badass writing move it, yeah like it's because i mean they're constantly fighting like demons and world-ending threats and just like all these awful things and like just some fucking loser with a handgun shoots wildly uh at them and it doesn't even hit the person he was aiming for fucking kills tara and she just like takes one bullet through the chest and she looks down it's like oh shit and she falls over and like that's I, i'm not i don't remember if the episode ended there and it was a two-parter or what but like they're like, well, you know, this isn't magical damage. We all are magic stuff because they bring back people from the most insane shit with the magic they had. And they're like, no, this is this is just a mundane bullet. We can't heal it with magic because it wasn't magic damage. And she's just dead. And it was just like the most startling thing because in the middle of our awesome power fantasy where we see people being battling demons all the time, like real life gets pulled into it. And someone we cared about just takes a bullet and is dead now. And it was, it was, it was, it was one of two times on Buffy where like real life and death intruded into it. And it was, it was powerful. That, that sounds like a powerful writing decision. Like, you know, again, like you said, just the mundanity of it, right? Mm-hmm. If, uh, the only other character whose name I know is Giles, you know, like if he dies, like just like slipping down the stairs mm-hmm. and it's like, well, fuck, you know, he's sur- sure he survived being punched in the face by, you know, devil Hitler, but we can't fix him. He fell down the stairs. <laughs> like that yeah. that would be that'd be something. Um I wanted to grab oh yeah, there were two pieces of evidence that were really important to vindicate my insane position from last week. So oh. uh I think Finch says that uh Harold can't like directly control people, but he can like manipulate them. Um mm-hmm. but he doesn't like puppet them, right? But we um, see that he does here. Yeah, but he does it chapter. like in a in a jittery kind of like you have seen a world yeah. lord and i'm like yeah, okay yeah, yeah. it doesn't seem like he was directly piloting those people who tried to kill june right um, right but now that i think of it i immediately lose my point that i was going to give myself because he's not directly piloting the hundred the dozens of people in this building either he's just somehow fucked their brains to mm-hmm. where they're like and he's done it without affecting their soul so i don't quite understand what he's done but I think he has, he's, uh, isn't he basically affecting the crap out of everyone's spirit, which indirectly affects their soul? Yes. But like it, like when June checked, um, Sony's soul, there was no like tweak, you know, you know, meditation wasn't like a really high value, right? Mm-hmm. She just really wanted to meditate. Yeah. And so like, that doesn't seem to make sense because it's, it's another layer of magic. Um, so I, I was going to be like, oh, look, this is more evidence that this was just the student council trying to kill him. But <laughs> all the people in this building aren't being directly piloted by Harold, but they are somehow tricked into thinking that June is this like ravenous, like yeah, unreasonable monster. Mm-hmm. They're like surprised he can talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know what he's done to them or how, but it's interesting. 
Yeah, he has some sort of subtle control over their their thinking. And it's just, you know, like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's he's here. He's not a person. He's a monster here to kill everybody. And yep. like, they're doing the re- they're doing the reasonable thing after that, right? The great and mighty Herald let us know that he was coming. So now we got to take care of this problem. Yeah. Wild. It's yeah. But when he does control the guy, like after June has knocked out everyone else and he starts, he holds the gun to his head and just starts like talking with him and he's totally doing the monologuing thing. And I didn't see it Hmm. either until like all of a sudden his brain gets blown out and it's Finch that just shot the dude through the, through the temple uh, because he, as Finch says, it was a diversion, classic stalling behavior. Let's go. And, you know, then we realize, oh, right, because Harold is trying to summon another Mumrath and we're on a time here. So every every second that he can stall June is is a uh, extra time he gets to maybe accomplish his goal. And like that was that was fucking cold of, of Finch. But I mean, he also did the right thing. Like, what else could you do? Because if they tried to move past him, he was just going to shoot himself anyway. And every second counts here. Like the guy was dead. He he, there was no way they could reasonably save him, and it was the correct thing to do. But God, it was just brutal. Yeah, no, I I think we had exactly the same comment and thought on that. Um, you know, man, it sucks, but this this is you know Finch's thirtieth time, you know, breaking up a uh, end of the world cult, and he's seen this shit, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, they're gonna just try and stop us at every turn. Um, yeah. <laughs> June, so- oh, sorry, real quick, he he pulls out the scroll. That Bethel yeah. made for him that contained the the mind shattering meme from the library. Yeah, hoping and maybe he can... shows it to the crowd that he was like, "Okay, I'll I'll, I'll put them all in a coma and come back and fix them later." But mm-hmm. then you have exposed that scripture to me already. Such divine horrors of this world, and it's like, <laughs> damn, that was an awesome idea, and I'm so bummed it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, because he's that like, was a "Aha!" Cool... and then nothing. <laughs> yeah. That was a cool line, too. Felt very much like the uh, Hellraiser line. You know, I somehow missed that movie. I need to get around to watching it. It's, I I don't want to give you spoilers, but it's probably not what you expect, because I just saw it for the first time like a month or two ago, and it was not what I expected. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. I mean, just, I've never had anything against it. It's just like I saw all the other 80s horror movies, and I somehow missed this one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the I just, you know, <laughs> it's like, aha, here's my secret weapon, and you know, a mighty secret weapon it will be against people who haven't seen this before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, the next time he's breaking into a compound or something, but whatever, whatever shakes out. Um, yeah. And I mean, that that's like more proof that Harold has some stranglehold on these people's spirit at the very least, because it doesn't affect any of them in the least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's He's got control of their spirit, and that's apparently where all the damage is being done, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so after this, Juno's like, well, fuck, okay, I guess I just got to kill these people because if I don't, they're going to kill themselves anyway. And uh, he says that he's doing so. The game gave them names, but they were just mooks. Uh, so he's like, he's not paying attention to the names. He's just thinking they're like, whatever, they're, they're mooks, they're NPCs. And he says, that wasn't the way that I wanted to think about it, but it was probably saner or at least might result in better outcomes. And I know that you've been saying this for at least a couple episodes. And this just struck out to me right away as like, that's totally fallen Uther thinking right there where I can't think of these people as people because of what the game is forcing me to do. So they're just mooks. They're just NPCs. They don't matter. And I can see how, I mean, yes, it is adaptive to do so in this particular situation, but if you're not careful, maybe it could end up taking over your view of everybody. 
I think you're right. It's it's interesting because my my only comment on that line when I was taking notes was like you can't humanize the people you have to kill in war or you'd lose your mind, right? Mm. But I yeah. you know, Uther was more or less never not at war for 40 years. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like okay, I've I've killed, I don't know, thousands and mm. if I if I haven't humanized them, what makes you so special just cuz I haven't killed you yet? Oh, damn. Right? Yeah. I I hope that's not where you know, I don't know. I the story is like pushing this like Uther went dark side thing pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm wondering if I'm just like, there's no way Coral was Voldemorting this. Mm. Um, you know, but then again, like it's like it's putting up all this evidence that seems to make it make sense. You know, and they keep they keep hinting towards the fell seed thing, or not hinting, but suggesting. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I don't think that I'm just being um, like. I don't think it's just wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, there. I think there's a reasonable chance that like this is being set up as kind of like a a misdirect, right? Yeah. You know, he, Uther's still a badass hero. He's going to come out from like he's in the Felsid exclusion zone, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I was in here fighting him the entire time." <laughs> Why do you think you know? Felsid hasn't taken over Arab yet? Exactly. It's like, no, yeah. of course I'm a fucking hero. Like maybe it's that, right? Mm-hmm. Now maybe that's. A little too optimistic, but we'll see how it shakes out. I guess I'm just, I'm still totally on the fence on this, and I have no idea how much of it is being tainted by wishful thinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, if nothing else, it seems like it wasn't exactly unreasonable for him to end up this way if this is the world he's he's been exposed to, and assuming that that is how he ended up, and, you know, like Bethel is thinking, as opposed to, like, what Raven is thinking. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll have to see how it shakes out. I I keep saying that. I'm not playing with a full deck of cards tonight. Um, <laughs> all right. There's a, a line where June says that he had soul linked with his companions. Uh, well, mm-hmm. and Palada. Palada, Raven, mm-hmm. and Grack, right? Mm-hmm. Minus um, Val, because she's not a person. So we have seen soul linking twice. I mentioned it earlier with uh, whatever, that brute who worked with um, Larkspur. Yeah. And the fire strike team or whatever. They also had a, a soul linked tank. So I, I guess I'm wondering how this works. It's not soul magic, right? Because no one's allowed to do soul magic. And there's like two government approved groups doing this. I, it <sighs> might be soul magic. And they're just like, they're both doing it against the law and it's super illegal, but they're doing well, it in front of, they're doing it in front of crowds, you know? They, they were both agents of the Anglican government. Maybe what Oberlin was saying about like, you don't think all the governments have their own super secret soul mages that they keep tamed to do their bidding. Like maybe they do actually still have some soul mages around for exactly this purpose. Oh, I'm sure they do have soul mages. I just wonder like the fact that Larkspur was willing to get into a fight in a public street where people, yeah. where people describing the fight, to the newspapers, you know, they could put together the fact like, Oh shit, you hit the guy with the Cape, but the guy with the armor staggered, you know, that sure sounds like soul magic. I don't know. Well, maybe um, like the official narrative of of their their governments or media or whatever is like soul linking isn't actually soul magic. It's a different kind of magic. And oh you know, uh, yeah, I I love it. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, we do that with an entad back at the empire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. We oh, would perfect. never. Yeah. No. That, okay. Yeah. That that squares that circle fine, just fine for me. When when did he soul link them? He says I had soul linked them out of sight of Finch because apparently it wasn't until after he took the void shot to the brain. I think void might be distinct, like. Oh no! Yeah, no, this this actually, yeah, that line is just a couple paragraphs before he takes the void shot to the brain. So yeah, maybe void 
is since it's non-magical, it's not affected by Soul Link. Well, I guess non-magical and non-physical. You know, yeah. it's specifically its own thing. So <laughs> yes, it's um, the David S. Pumpkins of this world. <laughs> that's right. Um, okay, so he's still just doing his thing, uh, God mode, punching his way through this building, right? Mm-hmm. And someone came at him with a metal net, and uh, <laughs> he's like, "Okay, whatever. I can, you know, be fast and work around this." Um, but oh no, they've got a revision mage, and oh no, <laughs> I'm trapped in a net, and I, I'm just like stoked because it's. I mean, obviously, I'm bummed because I liked his God mode rampage, and the fact that it ends with such an undignified capture is, you know, a bummer, but it's also hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh. <laughs> What 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 does Finch do? He grabs two giant grenades and just kind of like nukes the room, mm-hmm. and I it blows himself to bits. Yeah, yeah. Because and he, I just he like he's, he's fucking dead. Like he couldn't have thrown them a little further away and made for the door. <laughs> like, but no, there's blood on the stairs where he was standing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, that, you think- that sucks. <laughs> Did you think at that point that he was dead? Yeah, I thought I thought that he was like okay, well. When this I first the, read this is the important thing my life's been leading up to, you know, like we need to stop this. If this is how it has to go down, I thought he just laid down on that grenade. Oh shit. When I first read this, I was like, no, there's there's no way. Like Finch, he's the head of iniquities. He knows how important he is. He's not gonna like knowingly kill himself for this when he could have just thrown the grenades a little further, right? Plus, importantly, we don't see the body. And if you don't see the body, he's not really dead. So I was like, there's no way he's dead. I, I wonder what the trick is. I forgot. We just got the the moral about seeing the body. But mm-hmm. I didn't I guess I can't remember what the rest of the room looked like. I think everyone kind of got annihilated. Um, you they did all kind of get annihilated, but I wasn't believing it. Well that's good on you. That was savvy of you. <laughs> I was just like, man, he could have thrown them a little further away, but I, I guess R.I.P. Finch. Like, <laughs> thanks. No. Um, Poor guy. Yeah. Anyway, I guess getting Void Rifle through the brain will be like a rite of passage for the Council of Arches, right? <laughs> could be your initiation. Yeah. It's a hazing thing. Mm-hmm. You, you, get, you get a merit badge. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can do long division anymore. Crack better be fine. Oh. I again, it's with all the healing available to June and all the healing available to him in potential. If he were to do some soul scaping, like there's no way that fixing a little brain hole won't be. You know, <laughs> it it shouldn't be that hard. It's just it's just a little brain hole. Just a little brain hole. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. I mean, at the very least, he could even just refill that one, like, you know, that, that, that one inch circle, you know, that's three inches deep or whatever, three and a half, however, you know, brain minus skull. Um, he can refill that from the Horcrux that they have, right? He doesn't have to do the whole body. That's a good question. Probably, maybe, I, I guess whatever, if there were changes that happened in the intervening months in that section of his brain, they wouldn't be recorded, but that shouldn't be that big a deal. It's a small part. Yeah. And, you know, he might forget, uh... I don't know what part of the brain he was hidden. I'm not a scientist, but you know, might be a couple little hiccups, but I think, I think he'll be basically fine. I, I hope so. I hope he doesn't forget that he had the whole coming to Jesus moment and Dar really drill and he doesn't want to kill himself anymore. <laughs> it's like his whole character arc is just set back three months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, anyway, so Finch does show back up and yeah. he, he's, it, he's okay because it's top secret. 
So mm-hmm. get, get fucked is his explanation. <laughs> but he will explain right near the end there. Uh, just before that, though, uh, they walk into uh, some guy who Harold is possessing and also like an assistant right next to him, which I assumed when I've read this first that this is the assistant that has been helping him be really smart. But uh, we don't know for sure because Harold, the real Harold is not here. So maybe it is someone else in the temple. But uh, this assistant, she basically lays down what we were talking about in the last episode that, you know, yeah, the, the, this is the correct thing to do on Arab, uh, assuming that there is no June. And then Val says, you're right, but you're assuming that there is no June. And it turns out we do have a June. And I really loved this scene. I thought it was very tense. Uh, I I really empathized with Dari here. And I just like, I was really hoping she would make the right decision. And at the end, yeah, Valencia says, using a devil at the time, so she's super charismatic and persuasive. We have the key to it all. We just need more time. Months, not years. And Dari tells them. She's like, the temple. That's where Harold is. And then Ter- Harold, like, bam, kills her like that. And uh, But it's too late because they know where Harold is now. And I just, I thought that was a great scene. And I'm really glad that she was convinced at the end. I thought that was really cool. Although I'm still not sure she was right to tell them because I still don't know if, don't know if June ends up uh, saving the world or not. Well, at the very least, he's... Uh, um a candidate, right? They're, they've got a workable plan. Like, you know, get, give me a year. And if it doesn't work, then yeah, by all means, summon all the Momraths you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, and you know, like they, they didn't really spill any secret beans either. Cause they could have just been lying just to get what they wanted out of this person. So, and she's dead. So like, yeah. you know, the, they haven't let any important cats out of the bag, but like, uh, there, there was one thing, like a, a couple of trains of thought before that. Cause we're about to talk about Finch. But the other thing was, uh, so I was like, okay, it said no relation like a while ago with Finch, like to Doris Finch. I'm like, is he like related to Doris Finch and he can make copies of himself, but somehow outside the exclusion zone? Like that mm-hmm. was one of my guesses. And then uh, I knew it wasn't revision magic because he's leaving blood. And then I was like, okay, maybe he's just like Kenny from South Park, which is actually like <laughs> the closest to correct guess. <laughs> it is. <yeah. laughs> but, um, it, I, I, Again, just you know, to to be forthcoming with my my wrong predictions, I I thought that maybe it was a Doris Finch style thing. Um, mm. But what did you think of this moment? So when they walk in and June's talking with that uh, that assistant of Harold's, and uh, he's like he's like confused, and he's like, "All right, Greg, Val, get in here." And Val looks at the chick and is like, "Juniper, do you remember that swordsman from Raiders of the Lost Ark?" Mm-hmm. And he like looks at her with a raised eyebrow, and she's like, "Yes, now." Cause she can read his face mm-hmm. and he's like, ah, I'd rather hear what she has to say. I'm I, my thought is like, dude, why the hell did you bring her in? If you're not going to listen. Yeah. She, she's got some secret weapon, you know, there's, you know, Grack doesn't see anything, but who knows what she's doing? Yeah. Like, I, and I don't know why Val doesn't shoot her. Now that I think about it, why didn't Val shoot her? I guess wanting to pass the decision off to the boss. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe did they not give Val a gun? They had to have given her a gun. There's no way they didn't. didn't give her a gun. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it was on their equipment list. Remember from that Statue of the Nerds chapter. I do. I don't know why Val didn't shoot herself. She should have. Maybe she just wasn't feeling. She was worried that maybe that was a devil pushing her to do that rather than what she would really do like as a good person. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, telling June to kill her is basically the same thing as killing her yourself. Unless you're thinking maybe June is like the 
one last sanity check on my decision. You're right. Val should have just shot her if if she was this convinced that letting her live is just asking for a nuke to go off in your face. Well, and June should have shot her if he was going to ask Val's opinion at all. But, right. But I really do like where you were heading that like maybe she made a commitment you know, especially after how things shook out with the Fen, that like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take a life in a non like emergency situation, like where I'm, where it's life or death for me immediately, um, mm-hmm. under the influence of devil magic, unless like I can run it by somebody first. And so she, she puts it past a sanity check, and the sanity check says, no, nah, I'm not gonna kill her just yet. That's that's that plausible. A, yeah, it's good to have those sort of safeguards in place if you know you can't trust yourself. Yeah. I don't know why Finch didn't kill her then. Finch even says she's stalling. This means it's a matter of minutes, not hours. He killed the last person that was stalling. (laughs) June has him lead the way. He's like, you're the invincible one. And he walks in and gets shot with a shotgun and dies. (laughs) (laughs) And so for a while he was down and then he looks back and Finch Finch is there. And he's like, yeah, no, she's stalling again. Yeah, I don't know why they, I mean. Maybe. They're really worried that she's got something like on a super hair trigger and June's the only one that can act quickly enough to kill her before she pulls it. Yeah. Dead man switch style thing. Yeah. Could be. Um, I don't know. It it does seem like, you know, kind of like a contrivance to make that happen. But mm-hmm. it's it's super believable. I just I guess I don't know. You know, I mean, there were the other two people in the room with guns. You know, maybe if Finch, you know, raised his arm to shoot, then he'd have been shot again. And he didn't, you know, maybe he doesn't like getting shot. But he also (laughs) wouldn't have been able to get the shot off, right? Yeah. Val would. um, Val could have, yeah. But maybe she was sanity checking with June. So, all right, we've checked. We've got got those two anyway. But um, the, uh, oh yeah, the temple. Um, You know, narratively, isn't that where all the cool shit was going to go down anyway? They should have gone straight there. I don't know, because they started out in the temple. So I thought the temple was done with because he had that confrontation when he had no powers against those uh, not student council people, but maybe. And um, and then he left to go fight Mumrath. So I thought the table was over and the temple was over and done with. We had our unpowered confrontation within it. Could be. But I mean, you obviously I was wrong because they're going back to the temple now. So you were reading better than I was in that case. Well, well, I didn't like call it out before. It was like in retrospect. I'm like, oh, of course it's at the temple, right? Mm. But yeah, yeah no, I, I didn't. I didn't like call it beforehand or anything. Um, but hey, you know, at the very least, we don't. We're not left hanging, wondering forever where, like, what Finch's deal is. Yeah. So he does. He, he is for- nice enough to tell June and us this this chapter. Yeah, he he was at a summoning where a meme monster was coming out, and he accidentally got, like, combined with the meme monster, like a radioactive meme monster bit him. Uh, <laughs> so now he is not Figaro Finch anymore. He's the idea of Figaro Finch. And uh, he cannot be killed because you can't kill an idea. I mean, that that is such a dramatic way to put it that this guy's definitely going to die, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> They're going to find a way. Ooh, I mean, they're going to get like some kind of anti-meme like um like Mumrath to make the world forget about him. That's possible. Yeah, so that that's how you kill an idea, right? You kill everyone who knows mm-hmm. it. Um mm-hmm. you know, that said, maybe he's got like a diary, you know, in a vault in another dimension, you know, just to keep it safe, right? Yeah. Um I don't know exactly what what contingencies what contingencies he could make, but it's obviously not like contingent on like his three friends, you know, whatever. Um I don't know. It what a what an interesting thing. I'm curious if they're going to explore this, if, or this is just going to be like a weird, cool thing about Finch. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, as far as we can tell, he's just a regular gnome, so his not ha- his being unable to die power isn't all that powerful, I don't think. Well, I mean, except for he's functionally immortal, which I mean is yeah. pretty powerful. I mean, that's pretty good, but like he's not like super smart. He doesn't have magic. He's not all powerful. He's he's your typical gnome with uh with some extra smarts and he keeps coming back if you kill him. That's that's not nothing, but it's not like take over the world exclusion territory stuff. Yeah, it's not exclusion worthy and it's not like kill Momrath strong. But yeah. it is like okay, it, there's a thousand people between me and like basically he gets to save scum all the time. Uh, yeah. But again, he's a gnome without special killing powers. Oh, I know. But I mean, just, you know, mm. hit the gym, you know, <laughs> borrow that, that vibration boop stick and learn some magic. That uh, could be cool. I mean, I'm not, it, you know, again, he's not he's not the most incredible uh, specimen we've met so far. But I just, that the idea that he's, he's not, you, you can't put this guy down. Like, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I'm with you. Yeah. He's not, he's not exactly like uh scary i mean he'd be he'd be relentless if he did want to kill you right he's he is another tool in june's toolbox of cool things that he can use to to munchkin the world like you can't kill an idea but can like you encase it in concrete and throw it in the ocean like i mean i guess that would kill i don't know but you know can you uh hit him with that meme and make him comatose um can you whatever can can you does he have a soul that can that can be attacked. Oh, he um, probably doesn't. It's yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. He seems to have desires and stuff, but you know, yep, need so a soul does to Valencia have. and they, Bethel. Yeah. <laughs> You're a step ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, all right. Yeah, I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, that's all I have for this this episode. What about you, bud? Uh, no, that's me too. Uh, so that I guess I should next know. episode. Yes, the next episodes, are, or the next chapters of the next episode, are going to be three chapters, 160 through 162. Uh, just three of them, because they are, all of them are long chapters, longer than average. And also a lot of stuff happens in them that I think hey, we're going to have a full episode of covering. You don't have to defend your, um, I mean, you're, you're welcome to, def- you know, get ahead of the mob, but I understand where you're coming from. Okay. Uh, so our, and our next chapters are going to be 160 on the merits of oblivion, 161 Raymer and 162 deus ex. Hmm. Okay. I like to just do the guessing game. Um, I mean, we know the merits of oblivion, right? I, so it, it, it can't be the, the front reading of that, which is like, yeah, shit's terrible. Like, yeah, it'd be great to turn the world off without June. That would be the morally right thing to do. But we got a June, so let's let's hold, let's put a pin in that. So I don't know what this one's going to be about. Raymer sounds like a fun chapter. Either it's going <laughs> oh, okay, so it's either going to be a Raymer point of view, a Raymer centered chapter, or June putting on his best Raymer hat. Ooh, I hope it's that one. And then okay. De- Deus Ex. So do you happen to know what that translates to? Like I have, I've heard Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, uh, a as in God like, of basically Deus Ex Machina is the God of the Machine, and it's the. Do you want the f- whole history on it? It's only a couple of minutes. If you're down, I'm I'm down. So Greek plays were written back in the before times when people didn't know about good storytelling technique yet. <laughs> and and uh, oftentimes they would end with like the hero just completely fucking himself and getting this in this major jam. And one of the Greek gods would descend out of the heavens and fix all the hero's problems. And then it would end on a happy note. The 
literally had an actor dressed up as a god, and they would descend him from on high using some sort of crane or pulley, a machine-type setup, right? And so this came to be known as the god from the machine. Uh, so deus ex machina, god from the machine, god of the machine. It's a term for lazy story writing when you just have something happen at the end that was not telegraphed and is unsatisfying and solves all the problems. So literally it's god of or god from. Nice. Okay, I can dig it. So I knew what Deus Machina was, but I didn't know that's what it translated to or the history. Um, so if it's just Deus Ex, God of, that could be anything. That's fun. A lot, lot to speculate there. I think I had one more funny thought about Raymer. Can't think of it. So I'm stoked. Let's do this. It's going to be a chapter entirely about hand jobs. I'm not opposed. <laughs> that's, that said, I don't feel like you said you said that there's a lot worth talking about. So I mean, unless there's like a lot of technique that we feel like we need to share, like you know, you know that's that's important information that we need to bring to our listeners. I'm glad. I don't think we mentioned hand jobs or boobs last chapter or last episode. So it's yeah. it's important. Yeah, we had to fill the quota. <clears throat> that's right. It's it's our secret. We're, we're actually bankrolled by big uh, big hand job. I was going to say that. Then I was going to say big boo, which would have been funnier, but also less funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Smut well, fac- if, the smut factory. Yeah. But, if you would like to help bankroll us so we don't have to depend on big boob or big hand job anymore, <laughs> you can do so at our Patreon, which is linked in our show notes here. And uh, also, we have linked Alexander Wales' Patreon because he wrote this thing. He wrote all this smut that we are that are we are subjecting you guys to, and we thank him for it. Yeah, I'm having a great time, as always. Uh, well, thanks again. I didn't thank you on the air for a while, Enyash, but I thank you every time that we get off. Like, this is great. Having a, still having a fun time. Really enjoying it. Thanks for the idea. Thanks again to Alexander for making this game so we could play it. Totally. All right. See you all on a week. <laughs>